this week on Invasion of the Podcast, we continue the year of canon as we talk about our new heroes, uh, a middle-aged Chuck Norris and a near-death Lee Marvin and 1986 Delta Force. Two kids looking for a new thrill. Steve. He is the most feared and powerful warrior. And Paul. A strong-willed woman who knows what she wants and just how to get it. But this time, the thrill went too far. Their target, Canon Films. The home of high-powered, high-voltage motion picture entertainment. With the screen's biggest spectacles brightest stars, and boldest lineup of explosive entertainment. We're taking motion picture excitement over the edge, and your box office over the top. We're Canon Films, and we're Dynamite. So, over the top actually does factor into this film a little bit. Like, so surprise, surprise. There's, well, not this film, but like the year '86. Mm-hmm. So, I, I will reveal that nugget of knowledge here in a little bit. Ooh. So, uh, so yeah, welcome to Invasion of the Podcast. Uh, it's it's the year year of canon. Uh, our year long uh, journey slash struggle through the films of uh, Menachem Golan. Uh, this is actually our third film of his directed directly by him. Well, there was the apple, and there was this. What is the third one? What am I missing? Enter the Ninja was also. Oh, oh that's right. Yeah. I forgot about that. And, and we are joined by special guest, Mr. Jeff Ritchie. Hey, Welcome. how's it going? Yeah, and uh, we we will be talking because this was his pick for the year canon because we've been reaching out to our friends that wants to celebrate all things canon. However, it would be remiss. I mean, you know, this episode is <laughs> going to be like seven hours long anyway. So let's. Jeff and Steve both love Star Wars. They love the they love all the Star Wars and the Disney D twenty three Expo. Just like was it Expo? Is that what they call it or convention or Manifest Destiny? I don't know what they call it. Uh, I figured it'd be appropriate because to at least to at least talk about the new trailer for Rise of Skywalker. So we'll talk about that for a little bit, probably I don't know three hours, and then we'll talk about uh, Delta Force. So no Lady in the Tramp talk. I I like that someone posted a cover like it was a, it was a remade cover of the, of the original anime movie saying and I'll, I'll I'll quote it incorrectly the story of Italian guys that just want dogs to have sex in an alley. <laughs> 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 so yeah, um, you guys take it away. You guys, I'm sure you guys are excited to talk about the Rise of Skywalker trailer just came out. So I I enjoyed the trailer for Rise of Skywalker, but I'll admit of the two trailers that were revealed at D23 Star Wars wise, I was far more excited for The Mandalorian. Oh but, yeah, 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 that was awesome. Um, Paul was trying not to remind us that there's more Star Wars right. to talk about. <laughs> uh, I guess, Jeff, what were your feelings on the trailer? Uh I loved it uh, because it told us zero about the actual movie still. I'm very happy that we're in this sort of non-world of having any clue about what's about to happen. And now everybody's talking about whether things in the trailer are fakes on top of fakes for the reverse flakes and all of that, which is fun because it's giving you that... I heard somebody describe that watching trailers now should be like giving you an extra year of getting to enjoy something where you get to talk about what it could be. Well, considering that Abrams is like the master of the mystery box too, like he knows he knows what's going to spark people's interest. 
So giving like the uh, the the double red lightsaber that flips into a staff, like people are going to lose their minds over that, and he knew that. So, so when I first that, saw yeah. it, it was, it was interesting. It was because when I saw it, I actually had taped Good Morning America, so they got my whatever dollars that is, or the TiVo dollars, um, or DVR dollars, not TiVo. We're not brand specific. <laughs> um, but there was no voiceover. And I was like, oh, this is really, this is cool. And, oh, that's it. Okay. And then everybody kept talking about the emperor. And the emperor, I was like, oh, did I miss something? And then I watched it on YouTube. <laughs> and then I was like, oh, I did miss something. So it was a totally different experience the second time because I was like, I don't know where they're going with it. And the fact that Vader's in there and I don't know what's going on. Yeah, I mean, when it comes to J.J. Abrams, taking the mystery box side of it out, I do like the fact that he's only giving us less than, and I know that most trailers give you less than two minutes of, of uh, imagery, but like, I don't feel like we're even getting a story of what's going to be in the movie. Like, I feel like we're just getting pieces of scenes and that's it like there's no real narrative that i can see from the trailer um but i will say uh when it comes to the ray with the double-bladed lightsaber my thought went to two things one either it's a force vision of what she could become very similar to luke confronting vader in the cave on empire in empire or it could be possibility that it's a clone but then my wife is like well you know luke and leia are twins we don't know all that much about Ray. She's like, maybe she's got a twin. I'm like, you know what? That's actually not a bad theory. I mean, it's no less probable than anything else that people are coming up with. So uh, I like that people are talking about it. Uh, and I like that it's... I hate... I don't know that I like that term, Mystery Box, but I do like the fact that we really have no clue what's going to happen in the movie. Well, no, like, I mean, I, fine with Star Wars, but it's like with, with Cloverfield, uh, with uh, what else? Like, he, he's really good at, like, teasing out Super yeah. 8... Like, mm -hmm. like, I mean, it bit him in the ass with the second Star Trek, though. Like, he kept trying to hide Khan, and he's like, no, it's not Khan, it's not Khan, it's definitely not Khan. Yeah, and then he should have kept it not Khan. But yeah. yes, I agree with that. But, like, there, th but he knows how to kind of, like, screw with perceptions, especially in this day and age. Like, there, even, like, when he was doing stuff for The Force Awakens, where you'd see, like, like a monster walk, not monster, but like a creature walk in the background, like, as he's talking about the film. Like, he knew the breadcrumbs to put out there. And he also kind of knows that uh, with the mixed feelings of The Last Jedi of like what it's going to take to get people to start talking. Not, not that people have never been excited about Star Wars, but I feel like th this is hitting like had it's almost like it's almost like Solo didn't exist and almost like The Last Jedi was a speed bump. People are stoked about this film because they feel like it's going to like course correct and my argument is that you don't need to course correct you just need to finish the story yeah i actually think that jj is going to go the opposite direction and try to do something that's going to upset people like i have a feeling like the last job i gave him that like oh i wish i just said you know i'm just going to kill off the person everybody loves the most and make him a grumpy person I know we already have. You can go back to whatever episode that is, and we can talk about that. <laughs> this is where you can drop in. Go back to episode. Go, go back to whenever Steve talks about the Last Jedi. But even which the Last is from Jedi trailer. Two hundred one to whatever. <laughs> now we, we just finished a minute ago in the other room. Yeah. Um, no, I. I just like. I don't know. Like I. I, I know I was leaving this forum for you guys. It's interesting, the f and also that they're bringing in the prequels also to kind of like like this whole thing too, and it's almost like, hey guys. They're cool too. Like they're just trying to sneak it in. So I think it's one, one weird. Oh, no, oh, go, go ahead. ahead. No, you go ahead. No, the one weird thing that I was gonna say about that is, is that 
I, I don't understand why they sim- simply feel like they've got to, well, we're going to wrap up all three trilogies with this one movie and the Skywalker saga, saga is done. I don't understand that mentality. Like, I understand like them saying, if there's an episode 10, it's not for another 10 to 15 years. I can get saying that, but them just saying, like, well, nope, this is it. It's done. And all new Star Wars will be unrelated to this this series. And I, I, I guess I just question that because it's such a... I mean, I guess George Lucas did it forever, where he was like, there'll never be an episode seven, you know? Um, so and, and there, Until there was. Yeah, and, until and there, there was. Yeah. But I also, in the trailer, it says, the story of a generation ends, and I'm like, what generation are we talking about? You're like, Steve, you're specifically. Are, are we talking about, like... <laughs> Because Star Wars they stole is, your childhood. Well, now they're going to wrap this stuff up. It's yeah. different, pe- like you know, for kids who were growing up in the '90s, like their trilogy is the you know the 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 prequel trilogy. You know, uh, people our age, it's the original trilogy. You know, people who I guess just got into Star Wars five years ago, it's this trilogy. But I. I I don't know. I just I don't like that they're trying to put some sort of finality onto it. So that bugs me a little bit. But well, I think when you call the the film the Rise of Skywalker, you set the expectations that you're you're finishing this supposedly that these like you know like nine movies were going towards something. Which let's be honest, it wasn't. You know, like it this it just never yeah, was. Yeah. Well, they keep saying like, well, the Emperor was definitely coming back. That was their plan. But I was like, he wasn't even going to direct it originally. So I don't know if that was like. George Lucas's original idea because he started working on episode seven before he sold it to Disney and then they're like oh cool cool thanks and then they were like we don't want that whatever you were doing stop I feel like the emperor being brought back I feel again we don't know what's going on and we don't know the extent of the film I feel like because Snoke is out you got to have some kind of underlying thing like this big theme going through all of this and who knows if Snoke is out? Who knows? It's Star Wars. They, he, he could be like he could be the bottom part of Snoke and then the top part of Robot. That could be interesting. It's like it's Snoke's legs, so it's just controlling the rest of his body. Wouldn't it be funny if it was a reverse uh, um, Darth Maul? Like it was just like his, it, <laughs> so the Emperor just, is really old, and he gets dunked down into a Star Wars nuclear reactor, vaporizes, and then they blow that up. It crashes on the planet. And he's just like, oh, I'm here. And then Padme dies because she was sad. <laughs> I, no, they I were just, like the technology of medical technology I, in the Star Wars universe. Oh, 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 Babu. <laughs> <laughs> I'm imagining that like when the Emperor fell down that shaft in Jedi, that he actually fell in like a similar situation like when Luke fell down the shaft in Empire to escape Vader. And he's just hanging on to like, you know, one chandelier or something. <laughs> <laughs> As the planet he's exploded, been, oh, and maybe crashed. he's like the king of the Ewoks. No, okay, so let's just play for a second that that has to. Let's just pretend that that crashed on Endor. Do we want to see Ewoks? Do we want to see like Chief Wicket just fiercely guarding his territory? I, I Are we okay see, with that? I want to see a turned Mace Windu pick up uh, em- the Emperor yes. and be like, "Oh hell no!" And then like they just run around. <laughs> he's like, "I have a purple lightsaber. It could be any side." You know, like I would love that. I do have one thing that's not related to the trailer that I just wanted to ask Jeff his opinion on. I don't know if you saw this article. Did you see, you know, before they released the trailer, they released a poster. Mm-hmm. Um, and the poster is Ray and Kylo fighting on some sort of wreckage or... I, I think it's a mountain. I'm not entirely not sure. Not a fire planet, specifically. Right. But there's a an image, planet. a large image of the Emperor in the back. Mm-hmm. Do you know where I'm going with this? Mm-hmm. Okay. Um what they did was is they used an image of a toy. Mm-hmm. I've, seen, I've seen the unphotoshopped version. 
I'm kind of curious to know what your thought is. So here's my thought. So let's go back uh, a couple days from Monday when we were waiting to watch Good Morning America for the first time in <laughs> forever. Um, besides, that show is, if you watch that show every day, I think you need to call somebody maybe. Um, that is a messed up <laughs> little program they have going on there for waking up. Um, but on Friday, they released the Mandalorian poster. And my first thought was, they have some of the most brilliant artists ever my heroes have worked on these movies people who i've i just like worship as an artist and it looks like a photoshop picture and i'm like okay it's cool i get it i know i don't know what the they're trying to keep everything under wraps but i would really like just as drew struzan style every time this this should be a i want it i yes. want it i want the poster to be like I want that on my wall, like tomorrow. Have, have, okay, brief aside. Have you seen like a lot of the posters for Once Upon a Time in Hollywood? Yeah, it feels very Struzan-ish, yeah. but it's not him. Right. It's like you could see that, but you could at least see there's care put into it. Man, yes, I, I want, I want. If this feels like Star Wars, Drew Struzan is Star Wars. Give yeah. me that. Right. You know, even if you don't bring him back for the new movie, bring him back to make image because he still does work here and there. He just he's he's retired, but you give him enough money and reason and free reign. He'll do it. You know? right. like, I don't even know that money is such an issue because, and I guess maybe back in the 2000s, the comics license being at Dark Horse, maybe they had a little bit more money to play with. Not think Marvel doesn't have a lot of money to play with, but um, you know he did covers for like the Darth Maul comic series, and like he did a bunch of comic work well, as well. Hugh for Fleming. Covers. Oh, Hugh Fleming's amazing is too. The best ever. I've been. I feel like if you're, I, going I'm not to try allowed to, win, to say that yeah. he's the best ever, but he is the best ever, right. and I. Uh, Got him to send me his last Jedi. I wanted a last Jedi poster so bad that kicked ass. Sorry, and uh, I actually got him to send me the one he did for their Australian fan club for the premiere in Australia, and it is gorgeous. And it was in our dining room for a very long time, <laughs> to where I was like, people were like, "That's in your dining room? How Star Wars in your dining room?" I'm like, "Yes, look at this poster." <laughs> um, so yeah, I mean, like. So far, like with the post you're talking about where they use the toy in the background, which is funny, I didn't know that. Yeah. I saw someone do a mock-up of Spaceballs. Well, it was the same thing. <laughs> yeah, I've seen like 30. I've seen Jar Jar. And then somebody took the, the Return of the Jedi mail away per figure and put it in, which part of me was like, you know, that one I might. I'll take back everything I just said, and I'll, I would put that one up. The, the Spaceball one was great because you just saw Darth Helmet uh, yeah. like in the back. and Just whatever. It was great. But, um, you know. I don't know. Like you know me, I kind of like I lo I do like Star Wars a great deal. I don't I don't have maybe the same passion that you guys have for it. I, I as much as like you you'll you'll shoot me down for saying I think the name of this new chapter is dumb, but a lot of the chapter names have been kind of dumb. I was gonna say we've had depending that depending on what it means. I know we have yeah, do, you, uh, yeah. for every movie since uh, Return of the Jedi. Yeah, no, so. that's fair. Um, and I it just I mean you guys already talk about your theories and I missed that already about what I, it means. What theories of what Rise of Skywalker means? Yeah. Are I don't know. Put no. And again, I I thought it was an odd title to choose for a movie that they're claiming Would you is be the okay end of the with trilogy. like the new version of the Jedi being called Skywalkers? Are we okay with that? I've heard that theory. I don't know how I fall on that one. I think I, it's kinda cool. I, I like I Because it's like if you think about like Avatar and they're like the airbenders. The and they, if they were the Skywalkers, you'd be like, "That's cool. We just get associated with the name now." Can, can then the Sith be just called Star Killers? I would be okay with that. No, yeah. okay. Well, you know, <laughs> they made a big point out of saying that uh, Kylo isn't a Sith in Force Awakens. It never really comes up in uh, the Last Jedi. But there's a Sith trooper that they've released a toy for, and I don't know if that's the Emperor's. If it's you know, I'm Kylo thinking Ren's. I would like to see. 
and I, I know I'm, I'm, we're going to talk about this. See, at first I was starting to hold back. Now I'm like, it's, slow, it's all coming out of me now. What I would love to see is a three-way battle for the universe. You have Kylo and his Knights of Ren coming back, or maybe they are, don't like what he did to Snoke, so they're after him. And then there's the Empire, like their shadow, you know, kind of the Nazis hiding in the woods kind of thing coming mm-hmm. out of nowhere. And uh, then you also have whatever twelve people left of the resistance. <laughs> I just like I just want to see what Ray's gonna do. I think that she crushed it in the last movie, and I think uh, what's his name that plays Kylo Ren? His name's so slipping oh, my brain. Oh, um, oh shoot! Oh, you looked at me, and now I'm like, see? oh, uh, 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 it's, uh, it's, uh, um, Adam Driver. Adam Driver, I think, is uh, I like an I unstoppable force of awesomeness in the universe right now. And every movie he's in, and I, I love Adam. Driver, I think yeah. he was so good in the last one that I'm like, the best scenes to me were just him staring and talking about sure nothing. Go no. You're, like, <laughs> you're still looking at his face though. You're like, why is he in Star Wars? But he, Adam Driver such a good actor. He's like, good. yeah, um, yeah. Like, if you've not seen Midnight Special, he's in that as well, which is a film that's from a couple years ago that has uh, Zod in it, the new Zod. Um, oh, what's his name? Anyway, when he was making Midnight Special, he actually found out he was going to be in Star Wars, and he actually had to take, like, a moment to, like... But he's, like, he's so good in that. He's so good in um, Logan Lucky. Like, Adam Driver's amazing. I know you haven't seen those films, but you should. They're not yeah. Star Wars related, but I'm super excited this guy's, like, going out and doing other things than just Star Wars. And the fact that he's, like, they, I don't know how I feel about them bringing the helmet back, because I feel like they made a big deal about, like, he's more than the legacy, or he's different than the legacy, and destroying it in the second film where he had, like, the tantrum. I don't know. I feel like that's Abrams, like... But that's what makes me excited, yeah. is, like, I, we have no idea. I kind of like the idea that maybe we're going to flip around and do some things, and it's going to be two hours of high action goodness and maybe so i will like say Delta force was also high action goodness that's Ooh. that's that's the segue master <laughs> <laughs> i will say this when it comes to rumors and it's not really a rumor but it's your head cannon it's yeah uh the very like early drafts of return of the jedi uh when luke went to f- face vader um had both yoda and obi-wan materializing out of the force and helping him like be basically becoming in human form again or i guess not human form whatever tangible form whatever you want to call it um and i'm kind of really hoping that luke does that i'm, I'm gonna <laughs> but, mark hamill back he's gonna come back in some fashion i really well, think the one thing that we're missing in all of this though in a weird way is kylo ren kind of worships his grandfather it'd be really awesome if he showed up and was like yeah no, just knock it off like stop 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 <laughs> trying to finish what you start i started because obviously i was making horrible horrible mistakes i do think people are too hard on hayden christensen so i'd like to see him have some sort of that's what i think too this is i think a thing role that in the could, film yeah. that gives him a little bit more uh you know uh, I don't know. Oh, and again, we also forgot Obi Wan series coming. So, yeah. like the yeah. greatest hidden unsecret of all time. <laughs> like, <laughs> like, <laughs> yeah. I'm very stoked about that. So, all right. Um, I so, guess in three months we'll just have to have Jeff back on to. Oh no! I guess what we'll to do that? I guess <laughs> when it comes to more Star Wars. <laughs> so yes, that's uh, that's that's your 20 minutes of uh, Red Squid Star Wars talks. We have Jeff on on the show. Uh, the cops are coming in the background. If you can hear them, They're they know we're not talking about Delta Force. Yeah. They know. Uh, so, yeah, let's just get the Delta Force, and it's 20 minutes into the episode, so let's just play the trailer, and then we'll, well, we're going to wait for the sirens to pass, because it'll be a weird trailer. I don't know. It's, it's kind of fitting, actually. It's an action yeah. film, so... Maybe. I mean, the Delta Force. 
I was going to make a joke about them being police, but they're not police. No, so. they're they're the world police. So yeah, we're gonna we're gonna listen to the trailer for 1986 uh, Delta Force, and then we'll we'll get into that. Um, it's it's the Star Wars of its time. Not really. All right. The enemy doesn't care who they hurt. Not how young, how innocent, how helpless. Collect all passports. Why? Strangers. They're making a mistake. United by the threat of death. There's only two of them! And there's so many of us! Find the courage. You take one of us, you better take us all. To defy their captors. I won't do it! It's a new age of terror that requires a new breed of warrior. One minute to showtime. We're members of Delta Force and we're here to take you home. America's elite anti-terrorist commandos committed to destroy the enemies of freedom because the stakes are more than pride. Sleep tight, sucker. More than honor. More than justice. American, I want to negotiate. Do you hear me, American? Loud and clear. Because they're fighting to save American lives. The Delta Force. Starring Chuck Norris and Lee Marvin, America's new heroes, the Delta Force. Just audibly listening to that, Chuck Norris has like the least like intimidating voice ever, where he's just like, sleep tight, I'm going to put these books away in the background. <laughs> that um, trailer plays exactly like the movie. I've never heard that, and it is literally the perfect encapsulation in two minutes or whatever of the film that we watched. It is interesting how, I mean, I guess it's a visual medium anyway, but it, how little like dialogue there is at first. Cause there's just like sounds and then some synth music and then some more sounds and then a little bit more synth music and then gunfire <laughs> and then somebody says something and then more synth music. Yeah. That's, yeah, that's, that's pretty much a canon film. So Jeff, how, before we launch into this specifically, what is your relationship with canon films? Because I know you picked the Delta Force, but I also know that you love martial arts, and I know that there's a lot of weird martial arts attempts that canon does. So what what is what is your relationship with canon? Well, it's one of those things where I didn't realize I was uh, a canon nerd uh, until, was it the Electric Boogaloo documentary came out? Yeah. And uh, I was like, yeah, I know all of these <laughs> movies pretty much. Um, maybe not some of the more sexualized ones that because I was a child, but um, yeah, man, like I, we always watch the break-in movies, Delta Force. I've watched Bloodsport so many times I could probably take out one of those guys. Um, <laughs> not for dinner, but like in a fight, just, just, in a fight, you, or, yeah, or either to, way, uh, you know, Donald Gibb, dinner who, after, uh, yeah. Revenge oh, yeah, Nerds yeah. Um, and so yeah, I watched anything that was like this. My parents were very cool about letting me watch action movies that were might be beyond my years i'm 90 percent sure i saw this at a friend's house and i'm 90 percent sure everybody in the house fell asleep and i was just like oh my god this is the greatest thing i've ever <laughs> seen in my life i'm a sucker for a good uh synthy score um and i could probably 
play this song on a piano if I had to, if you gave me 30 seconds, but without having seen it for 10 years, I probably yeah. could have pulled it out. Alan Silvestri, too. Like, I was right? going to say, like yeah. A name, a name. So, right. Yeah. All right. So, okay. So this came out uh, February 14th, 1986. A nice Valentine's Day like movie. Like, this is the date movie here, right? So, um, number one song, I, 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 I like, play, like finding some stuff about like the date. Uh, that's what friends are for by Dion and Friends. I feel like that's appropriate because this is Chuck Norris and Friends. In the opening credits, that's of this what film. Delta Forces are for. Had yeah. a cold open of Chuck Norris karate chopping somebody, and then went right into that. Yeah, like a Bond ripoff. I, um, so uh, number one film for '86, and I, I'm gonna I'm gonna play a game of box office barometer a little bit with this. Number one film was uh, Top Gun with 176 million. Delta Force was 50, number 50 of the year. We'll get into that a little bit later. Uh, other films that came out that weekend, I only want to note it was Wildcats. That's oh, the yeah. Corey Hahn film, mm-hmm. um, where she was the coach of like a high school team, like a delinquent team. Um, there were some other other films, but like so very young Wells- Wesley Snipes in that film. I and Woody that? Harrelson. Yeah. Woody, yeah. Oh crap! Uh, so uh, it opened. This film opened in seventeen hundred theaters and debut number three at the box office, losing to The Color Purple, rightfully so, and, and uh, <laughs> Down and Out in Beverly Hills. Uh, it it beat. This is going to break Steve's heart. Nightmare on Elm Street Part 2. And then it's going to break my heart. Youngblood, which is the Patrick Swayze, Keanu Reeves for a second hockey film that okay. no one's heard of but me. And I watched it and I loved it. I watched it a lot on HBO when I was a kid. I don't know that I've seen Youngblood since the mid 90s. But like Keanu Reeves is like like a, like a goalie. I thought He's Rob like, Lowe was in that. He is in that. Okay. But Keanu Reeves plays like a French Canadian goalie that you see like, like a half second. <laughs> but it's like, <laughs> is that Keanu Reeves in a hockey movie? But yeah. Uh, so, um, yeah, I, I normally look up, uh, news around this time. I don't, I didn't, but this was based on an actual real event. We'll talk more about that in a second. Uh, this was directed by Menachem Golan. I didn't write his name right, but whatever. I know, I know how to say it. It's Menachem Golan, uh, written by Menachem Golan and James Bruner. Uh, you got Chuck Norris, uh, which we all know Chuck Norris, um, I'd, I'd ask what our favorite Chuck Norris performance is, but I know his filmography is pretty like long, and I realize that I've not seen a ton of Chuck Norris films. He's amazing as Othello. I don't know if you... <laughs> Just kidding. Chuck Norris, when he was in Magnolia, was, was amazing. <laughs> but, Jeff, you do, you, you do the karates, right? Like what, what, what it, actually, I should ask that question. What, <laughs> what branch, not branch, but what um, discipline... <laughs> Uh, I studied Chinese Kung Fu and Tai Chi and Shui Jiao, which is like the precursor to Jiu Jitsu and all that goodness, uh, since a wee young age. So how much, how much Jeet Kune Do do you know? Uh, that's the Bruce Lee. All of it, I guess, because he just took parts of other things he liked and that's a whole other podcast on its own. (laughs) But no, I studied martial arts since I was about six or seven. Uh, I taught for years. I... Uh, yeah. I, so, do you actually value Chuck Norris's ability oh, to yeah. move? Okay. Chuck Norris is actually a really amazing martial artist, and he's one of those guys that kept working. It's one of those guys that's like in the last couple of years when he's gotten to let's just call it his viewpoints on the world <laughs> and things <laughs> in the world, and uh, which factors into this film a little bit. Yeah, too, right? uh, it was unfortunate recently, um, but uh, yeah, when I was a kid, he was awesome, and he actually is the real deal. And uh, yeah, he's awesome. I mean. Didn't Did, he actually like strike Bruce Lee once, like during like filming uh, Enter the Dragon? He got like one hit on him, like during a scene, and then Bruce Lee just beat the crap out of him after. I think that was the whole, the whole, the no, whole legend, so many right? Like, of that. Yeah. But they were training partners, and 
you know, all those guys worked out together all so the not, time. It's so. not just the roundhouse kick. This guy knows his stuff. Yeah. Oh, okay. no. Yeah, no. He's awesome. So, Steve, I'm sorry. You want to say something about Chuck Norris? Like, uh, I was actually going to make the point that you were about uh, Bruce Lee and him sparring. And uh, I don't know if Bruce Lee is on record saying that he was legit, but I kind of feel like that was what I, the I rumor is. that I don't know if Bruce Lee went on record saying anybody was legit. I think Bruce Lee went on record to say he was legit. I think that's kind of where I feel like maybe, maybe uh, Jeff can correct me. I feel like, like there's people like, with the Once Upon a Time in Hollywood, his uh, his daughter is saying that he was not represented correctly in that film. I haven't seen off. that yet, but I guarantee you it's not right. He comes off really cocky, and yeah. then like there's a sequence with Brad uh, Pitt that's amazing. He trained Chuck Norris and Joe Lewis and some of those guys that were they trained together. Like they swapped. When you train with other martial artists, if you're really good, uh, you don't worry about that. All that other that's that's for the the other people to talk about like i've trained with a lot of people who were better than me and or i've helped other people and you just kind of let that part go when you really train hard because it's hard work so i don't think any of that stuff is true because you know if you're spending a couple hours a day with somebody of course you're going to get a hit in on somebody or vice versa you're gonna have a good day and a bad day and you know that's fair yeah, right. so but Chuck Norris is legit. So. Okay, he's he's too legit. He's won four Kumites, I understand. So, <laughs> <laughs> what what about the guy that Bloodsport was based on? What was his name? Frank Dukes. Frank Dukes. Dukes. Yeah, he's like seemed, put up your Dukes, right? He doesn't seem very legit. Like he. Is a, oh no! It turns out that guy was totally full of it. But uh, <laughs> that movie is amazing. I'm sure, no, we're going to talk about Bloodsport. And, that was the other um, one. I was that December? This and Blood November. Sport. November. November. We're I was have, hoping he bailed on you so I could come back. Yeah, we'll have Terry on for uh, Bloodsport, and then because like the the December is. Cyborg, so we're going to have back-to-back Sean Flat oh. Van Dam films. End the year the right way. Yeah, right, yes. So, all right, so we got Lee Marvin. This was in his, la- his last film, and you couldn't tell by watching him. Apparently, him. he had a, was it a inflamed colon, pa- colon or, or pancreas? Like, he was literally in so much pain every day that he was, like, he could barely walk. And there's a yeah. couple scenes where you see him walking on the boat, and he's, I'm putting, because it's a visual medium, I'm putting my hand on my ribs right yeah, now. Yeah, he was. And he was, he like, was walking in a very painful-looking way, and I felt really bad for him. Well, it's similar to Lee Van Cleef in uh, Escape from New, New York, York. Where he was, like, kind of, like, like half speed at least, right? Yeah. Like, I love Lee Marvin. I need to watch more Lee Marvin. Um, there's a film I watched recently from the 60s called Point Blank. <laughs> That is great. It's like a gritty, like crime revenge type thing, and he's the lead in that. He's amazing. And this, it's like he was like only in his mid sixties because he died like less than like a year after this film came out. This is his last film, and you see him. It's like this guy looks like he's been worked over. Well, he was like a hard alcoholic, you know. And um, when I was talking about his one appearance on the Twilight Zone, uh, one of the people that was associated with the episode was like this this idiot. Like got drunk and like fell off a horse. Like, can we not have him in the production? Everyone's like, he's the lead. He's like, oh, like that was like kind of weird. <laughs> like, so I Lee Marvin, regardless of how haggard he is, he has a presence. His voice is amazing. Um, I just I, I liked him in this. It's like he's hitting on the bartender. And he's like, you'd be more beautiful without pants on. Or every sister, and she's like, are you? He compliments her legs. Yeah. I think he's like, she's... I've never seen them. He's like, and he's like, but I could dream or whatever he says to her. Yeah, yeah. I love Lee Marvin. He, yeah, the Lee guy, Marvin the guy lived hard and, and worked hard. Uh, Martin Basalm, uh, we Steve and I just saw him recently in Death Wish Three. He was the one guy that was trying to convince um, uh, uh, Chuck Bronson to go like lay waste to everybody. 
I like him a great deal. Joey Bishop. Wait, wait, wait. I just uh, have to mention this yeah. every time we bring up Martin Balsam. Yeah. He is in the best Mystery Science Theater 3000 episode, Mitchell. Oh. Uh, he's the crime boss in that. So. Well, you say Balsam, which is probably right, but I'm like, Balsam, whatever. Uh, <laughs> uh, we have Joey Bishop, who was one of the. Like, I, saw, I heard the name. I'm like, that sounds familiar. He was in the Rat, Rat Pack. Pack. Yeah, there you go. Uh, Kim Delaney. She was in this. She was the younger nun. I didn't know that. Of like all the the medical shows later that that came pre uh, China Beach I think yeah yeah uh, Robert Robert Forster who's still with us he was in we Jackie have a lot Brown. to talk about Robert Forster after this. I could do a twenty minutes we need to talk Good. about my thoughts on the, the, like he looks familiar and he was the vacuum repairman in uh, Breaking Bad the one in the last season who you've not have you not watched I've Breaking not Bad? watched Breaking Bad spoiler he's the vacuum repairman I put that in quotes I'm yeah, not going to tell go. you why but I he, understand it's coming back to Netflix for some yeah sort of well movie. you should watch it it's a great show but he he plays an important part in the last season and I was like oh that's him you know so that was great George Kennedy which I know from the Naked Gun <laughs> yeah. I always think of him uh, from uh, Naked Gun and old Chief Woodenhead head from uh, Creep Show Two was that him Is yeah that sick? it's been for <laughs> Creep Show Two. I love George Kennedy, and I wish we had more of him in this film. He has a really good moment in the movie, but I wish he actually has two. I just wish they would have used him more because it's George Kennedy. Like yeah. he's wasn't he some of the airport movies too? Like wasn't I that his big? I believe yeah. so. Yeah. All right, I'm probably wrong about that. Robert Vaughn, who was the military guy that you always saw via like television, uh, he was uh, he was the one that was like whenever uh, Lee Marvin's like I'm waiting for the president. Pause. Well, the president said it's good to go. He's like, yeah, and he hangs up the phone. That was Robert Vaughn. <laughs> you almost Why took out Superman the- with the video game. Yeah. His real claim to fame. Uh, he was the man from Uncle. He was in the Magnificent Seven. Uh, and he was also the bad guy owner in basketball, which I didn't realize until I looked up. Like He was the one that, like after Ernest Borgnine died in the film from dying to choking on a wiener. Um, whatever. You've not seen basketball, have I have you? not. You've seen basketball, right, Jeff? Uh, years ago. All right, I enjoyed Vaughn's it. I like. Yeah, it's a it's a fun movie. Robert Vaughn was in that. Shelley Winters is in this as well. Uh, she's the 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 lady who's panicked. Her back hurts in this film. Um, I thought she was like the brother of Jonathan Winters. <laughs> <laughs> For some reason, yeah, she, while they're being hijacked, she dressed she, up like a giant baby. Yeah, <laughs> she, yeah, yeah. She's Murph. <laughs> yeah, she was uh, a famous actress for a very yes, long time. This movie is she full of Oscar yeah. winning. Shelly Winters, you look up like her earlier. She was she was a, just a dame. Like yeah. you know, not that I'm saying like people get older or whatever. Like I mean, I know that I'm I'm not the spring chicken I once was. I'm not, so with this yeah. movie, I did not do this because I had it on the background while I was working. But I have this game that I love to play. It's called How Old Are They Really? <laughs> and this is a game that you could probably turn into its own halftime sport. Um, how old do you think Lee Marvin was? That's what I'm saying. Like you watch these movies and you look up at IMDb how old they are. It's like the one day we were watching the Golden Girls and you looked it up and they like they average like 48 to 53, but you know they look like they're 70 or they're trying to prove. prove it. I'm like, I'm like I'm 40. <laughs> like, you know what I mean? Like, and uh, are you saying so, I could be on a show right now? So, yeah. Playing a geriatric? Like I didn't get the chance to. I have to go back and watch this and play. How old are they really? And uh, I feel like it's very shocking. Anything between before 1986, it gets like. I mean, it was just hard drinking and being out in the sun all day, right? Like it's what happens. Like you just these people are all leathery and old at this point. Even though like <laughs> Lee Marvin was like mid sixties or like late sixties when he died, it's like he looks like a catcher's mitt that's just been thrown out. <laughs> well, he had the, the gray hair since forever, so it's kind of, he's one of those guys that got lucky with like he kind of looks the same ish if you squint enough. Yeah, he, like the Steve Martin effect, right? Yeah, Where, like Steve Martin went way early, so it's like you. 
think that he's the same age forever. And then we see him now, you're like, he's older, but like, but how many years? Like 10? Like, you know. <laughs> um, so Shelley Winters had worked with uh, Menachem Golan before on a film called Over the Brooklyn Bridge that I don't expect anybody to know during this discussion. While I was reading the, this reference book that I have, um, that's, that's, it's under a stack of things right now that I've talked about. Uh, it's the, um, the, the, was it? The, it's the about fabulous the, boy, the, yeah, the, the fabulous men of life. No, um, I was going to say the fabulous Baker boys, but that is not it. It's the, the Hollywood, a go, go. Wow. I wasn't even close. Now th- there's a documentary that came out after electric boogaloo called the go, go boys. Okay. Uh, so this is Hollywood, a go, go, a true story of the Canon film empire by Andrew Yule, um, which came out in the mid eighties. You'll love it. You'll love it. <laughs> And uh, so under the, oh, sorry, under, over the Brooklyn Bridge was like one of their attempts, one of Menachem's attempts to kind of like have like this romantic, like elevated, like, I, I hate using that term, but like a more serious film. And people described it as like, well, if you just want to see good, like long lingering shots of New York, that's great, but there's not much of a film here, which we'll get to Menachem's influence on this film later. Uh, that feels about in line. So with Shelley Winters working with him and, and Kim being kind of a director that, has a vision, but we may not all understand it. She knew what she was in for, you know, and there's the famous story like that happened. Like you, I'm Jeff, I know you heard about this during the electric boogaloo uh, documentary when they were filming this, Shelly Winters had a problem with the, the, the temperature there because it was so ridiculous. And she's like, I can't do this. I'll die. And he just yelled at her, do it and then die. Like, He's worked with her before. She openly came back to, the, to work with him again. He was also, and it's it's somewhere in the book. I don't have the exact page count, but like in between like you know scenes, they were feeding like the crew like this like hot soup and like and like this like super hot Israeli like landscape. It's like burning sun, and it's like hey, by the way, soup. Like, <laughs> <laughs> So, yeah, that's most there's other cast members. There's a lot of stuff in here. Like I know um like the pilot was kind of recognizable. Bo Svensson. Yeah. Um I walking don't... tall. There you go. Uh so all right. Um yeah. Uh I know Steve and I sometimes like trans tromp through the whole plot of things. I this movie is very We need to start at the beginning on this one though. I wanted to just go yeah, right please, to the please, end please. that is crazy, but I feel like this movie for the first hour is one movie, and then somewhere about halfway, Chuck Norris shows up in his truck, jumps on a plane, becomes a major, which is awesome, yeah, for doing nothing, and then major the movie's like a whole other movie. <laughs> like I literally fast forwarded about ten to fifteen minutes of the hijacking at the beginning I because just, it was getting so depressing and heavy that I was like, what is this movie that I watched many times so as a 10-year-old child? I, I hate that you shortcutted to preparation for the show, but we'll... <laughs> Before we talk about any of it, though, I want to talk about that very first scene. It's a helicopter that you just see. The very first thing you see is a helicopter, and then it just explodes. Yeah. And I'm like, this is a Menachem Golan film right now. This is This is... This is just amazing. But I love the fact that like their thinking is is we're going to set up Chuck Norris as having left Delta Force because he's tired of being pushed around by the government. So you're expecting there to be some sort of like arc that will draw him back to the Delta Force. Nope, it's a phone call. It's not even a phone call. It's him, it's him looking at the news. No, but then the other guy's like, yeah, I tried to call him. Oh, that's that's. I guess he didn't get it. So him, the so. guy, he ends up pulling out of the wreckage yeah. of the helicopter, which, by the way, I just want to point out that the helicopter explodes and the one dude gets pinned under stuff. And instead of walking around to the other end of the helicopter, outside the helicopter, Chuck Norris makes it a point to crawl through all the wreckage and he goes to the other end. It's like, 
you could have just walked around and then like, oh, it's open on this end, and then lift the Jeep. And let's also make mention of everybody looks dirty and grimy, but like Chuck Norris looks like he didn't do anything on the mission because no, his but his uniform's like nice and clean. To be fair though, like I I will say that I noted when he went to go lift the Jeep. You could see, like, you could see, like, the definition in his body. Like, it was like oh, one of those he things was where jacked. I'm like, yeah. Did you ever see those pictures of him, like, working out with, like, Lou Ferrigno and stuff, oh. where he's just, like, double jacked on top of Jack? Yeah. Like, which, which, so when we talked about Enter the Ninja, that role was originally offered to Chuck Norris because he has, like, a sweetheart deal with Canon. And, like, so they had him and um, uh, Bronson. That was the Chuck and Chuck. And they always talked about the two script piles. And, and uh, Bronson was supposed to be in this, but he passed to do Death Wish 4 whatever um the, and the, the, the jeep the, the uh, yeah he, the, the crackdown Ooh. yeah um but like you i it's just i don't know like he when he was doing Aaron the ninja like they offered it to him he's like put up but i'm going to be in a mask i can't be in a mask people pay to see chuck norris so i feel like with this it's like you need to put me on meanwhile front. robert downey jr is like you want me to like show up for three days and then some computer's gonna fly me around and punch <laughs> stuff for 20 million dollars a day Got it. Yeah. No, but it, <laughs> one of them it, made a much with, wiser decision. With this though, it's like you know, like you could tell that he, even though I feel like this script, it parallels a lot of the the real world event of um, the the TWA TWA hijacking. You could tell that Norris was like influencing the script of like you got to show me saving somebody at the beginning. Yeah, I just thought it was funny that there's no like real arc to him leaving and coming no. back. Like they're they're making it a point that the very first thing you see is him walking away from Delta well, Force. Well, then like Lee Marvel, whenever like so that's the other thing too. You talk about the first hour of the film being something different, and it's like Delta Force just waits around for a long time for things. That's like there's people midair and this is going on. It's like yeah, but we got to wait for Chuck Norris. He needs to show up. It's he'll be he'll 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 be here, and then he shows up and it's like. Glad you could come back, Chuck Norris. That's not his name. And then uh, Lee, Lee Marvin's like, well, you know, if you didn't show up, I got a presidential summons. It's like he just takes it and balls it up and throws it in his truck. It's like it's a funny moment, but it's like they're OK. Well, I guess that happened. Like there's no like. So I think that's a mo- uh, thing of its time movie thing of like the amount of plot they could cram into a movie like now that would be the, in the third act of the third hour of like finally going yeah. back to the, the- Delta Force and. The disenfranchised one that can save the day shows back up. Like he has been putting it off and putting it off. Nope. We show him in his house, which is a stable, but also a bar. Like there was a weird thing of him. <laughs> like he's just sitting there, like, you know, sitting, like standing at the bar and the TV's playing. It's like, are you working at like the double deuce? Are you working at Roadhouse? Like, is Patrick Swayze going to show up and say, be nice? You're like, no, 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 no. I'm going to be, I'm going to be, I'm going to be mean and angry. I got to go. There's Americans on this flight. <coughs> It was a weird thing, and especially when they're all taught this toss of like he retired to that horse ranch. I'm like, that was also. I want to point out every time that the movie tries to change like location and position, it gives you a date and time. Did anybody care about that? I did. I wrote it down. <laughs> <laughs> it's like the film was trying to give like this yeah. like like seriousness to it, almost like. Just tell me where you're at. It's fine. I don't need to know the exact like date where it's like, like you know, such and such twenty eighth, twelve fifteen p.m. I'm like, who gives a shit? So should like, we talk about how this movie originated? Yes, please. Because what originally was r- literally a retelling of this actual event, right? So it started off this, and ironically, the fact that we talked about Top Gun earlier for about ten seconds made me laugh because the same thing almost happened on that movie. So they had somebody from the military who's there to make sure that everything they did was legit. And then they stuck to the story. Yeah. And then they were like, we're going to make this exact actual historical thing. But at the end, instead of it not going well, we're going to win. 
and the guy walked off because yeah. he was like, we're not changing the story. And they're like, no, we are because we have Chuck Norris. Much like Top Gun, the guy that was there from the actual Top Gun school to make sure that the Navy was represented well mm-hmm. was getting daily phone calls like after the people were seeing the dailies and were like, what in the God's <laughs> green earth are you allowing them to do? And they're like, I can't make them stop. I had they the wanted trivia, to play yeah. volleyball. Yeah, you're right. I had that in the trivia. I didn't include it, but like one of the guys who was actually part of the TWA uh, hijacking uh, was supposed to help like make this authentic. And then he saw like all the veering from this, and he he walked away from this in disgust. And it was yeah. Whenever you take the people that were actually involved, being like this isn't right, and they leave. Um, but yeah, so this is involving the the TW flight 847. Um, I'll just read off because there's a lot here that Steve. I don't know if you read about the actual hijacking. I did, okay. yeah. So I'll tell everybody else it's not us. Uh, it was inspired by the hijacking of TW8 Flight 847. The passengers and crew endured a three-day intercontinental ordeal. Some passengers were threatened and some beaten. Passengers with Jewish-sounding names were moved apart from the others. United States diver uh, Robert Stetham was murdered. His body, thrown, his body was thrown upon the apron. Dozens of passengers were held hostage over the next two weeks until released by their captors after some of their demands were met. Uh, the smuggling of two hand grenades and a gun Onto the, the plane actually happened as well, and the Beirut uh, airstrip being blocked initially also happened. So it's weird that this film wants to change history so much in the second half, but wants to adhere so much That's to what, what happened. Heavier. It's yeah. almost like they should have done like kind of Law and Order style. Like, well, we found a crime that actually happened. We're going to base it sort of on this, but we're not going to. We're just a sort of a plot idea. Yeah, they stuck to it so hard in the beginning that it was very depressing, and then. It kind of disrespects the people that were actually involved with it for real and died for real by the end. It's sort of the Superman problem. Like the Superman, you can never have him actually in World War II or something because he'd just show up, punch Hitler in the face, and tell everybody to stop. So, it's sort of that kind of problem. Like yeah. you can't just have the Superman show up and save the day. It kind of insults reality. Here's my analogy for what the film is. is have you ever seen the movie Argo? Yes. yes. It's like that movie mixed with uh, G.I. Joe. <laughs> like, it's this serious event that really happened, but then for some reason, like, G.I. Joe shows up and craziness ensues. Except that in the real, it'd be like if in Argo they got to the airport and somebody just shot them all. <laughs> well, yeah. That would be the reality. And then in this movie, they get away. Yeah. <laughs> or in that movie, they get it would, away. That's the difference. It's yeah, like, it, no, but this didn't end super happy. <laughs> Like Ben Affleck and Argo is actually there bringing everybody there like with all their fake identities and we're making a movie. And then Ben Affleck also shows up as like the, the Navy SEAL team to just take everybody out. And Jimmy Carter's there just nodding and approving. That would be, that'd be that movie. Um, yes, I, I agree with that. So I feel like so this movie's informed by like so something I consider Menachem Golan and Yorm Globus, the cousins that run canon, they're from Israel. And so there's a big thing here with uh, and I was reading about the TWA hi- hijacking, and there's a lot. There's a lot of like prickly things, and like there was she had Muslims involved in all this. I cannot begin to understand and explain it correctly. However, there is a heavy emphasis on whenever they do the whole thing of like the the hijackers are like pull all the Jewish sounding names. You know that was important to them, and yeah. rightfully so. I'm not disregarding that whatsoever. But it's like you can see their background, especially like when they're like when the flame the, the flame the plane was landing in, in Beirut. Like there's this whole big thing where they had the German stewardess, which that's also accurate, by the way. Yeah, I, I read about yeah. that as well. And, and they made her pick names. 
that's actually accurate. Like it feels like I don't know almost... that she gave it with the same delivery in that's real life. True. Also, I like that we're so far removed that her hairstyle actually feels modern versus all the other hairstyles. She looks kind of like um, Robin, the, the the pop star right now. Like it's like oh, her hairstyle is actually. Kind she of looks like sense. what's her name in Last Crusade. Ilsa. <laughs> yeah. Ilsa. Also a German. Yeah. Yes. I know. And just she's Austrian. Austrian. We just watched sorry. that last. Yeah, time. yeah. Uh, <laughs> uh, so that actually happened too, and it was just funny because it feels like that's something that would be like just thrown against the wall, but it actually occurred. Yeah, the way she's just like, he's I like, "Why won't you do it?" And she's like, "Cause of the Nazis." Yeah, I told you I was going to scream German. at some point, yeah, yeah. and she starts screaming about the concentration yeah. camps. I was like. Whoa. That's when I was like, I think I'm gonna skip like ten minutes into this just because it was it was getting too much. There is also a weird, um, I don't want to say sensitivity if it's given to because uh, sensitivity is definitely not the right word, but there is um, sort of a, a weird sensibility that's given to the villains of the piece in the sense that like one of them. Uh, a little girl drops her doll, yeah, and he gives it back and talks about his daughter. And then there's a woman who's pregnant, and like he shows um, some sense of. Well, uh, I think that's the thing that I thought was the most interesting is in the first hour, it's actual movie. Like they're not villains, like mustache like, twirling. No, they have, like, they have an idea. They they, are, they have a background that you could see their background. They had thoughts. They seemed conscious of their own thoughts. They seemed conscious of what was going on. It wasn't like it wasn't mustache twirling like you got to fight a bad guy type of bad guy and that's why I thought it was so bonkers <laughs> like like I mean not bonkers in a bad way but bonkers in like I'm 99.9% sure there is another movie about this that I saw when I was younger and I remember watching it going like this is exactly like that Chuck Norris movie not realizing <laughs> that the Chuck Norris movie when you're you know 6 or whatever is based on a real event yeah it was airplane that's not yeah, true. Yeah. Um, but Robert Forster is Abdul he's not as straight ahead like he's a villain but he he has a little bit of layering too with his his cohort yeah like I, I, I like, but then the second half, you're right. Like it just all falls away, and it just becomes like you know what is the, like uh, the Delta Force. What can they do? I also like the Delta Force is like 600 guys, and they're trying to stuff them into a plane. And they're like, we're flying to Beirut, and then it's like, oh, that went that went tits up. All right, guys, just hang out. We're gonna we're gonna work on our plane infiltration. Everybody just hang out. We're cool. We're cool, right? And then it just felt like the Delta Force wasn't just like this specialized like like I mean it is, but it's like. When you think of like special ops, you think of like SEAL Team Six, like a handful of guys. Delta Force was like, all right, well, we have most of the, like the Marines and the SEALs here. It's fine. We're gonna put them up at a hotel, and then we're gonna just wait and see. That's what, like, like I felt like two thirds of the movie was them flying from location to location, waiting for opportunity, which is probably more realistic. Yeah, that's what, it, that's why the last yeah. ten minutes is the most bizarre thing ever, where you get like into the. The comeuppance yeah. kind of feel of it, like it still it still feels like a heavy action movie, but it seems like a drama. It seems like a military movie, not an action movie. Does that make sense? Like up that, until that like the fair. last like sneeze of a movie where they're like, and slap this on the end, uh, like you know. Well, yeah, Steve, you're going to say something about uh, the Delta Force them, themselves. Or, I didn't know if you were going to say uh, that. No, no. I'm going to put was... you on the spot. Talk about them. No, well, All, I was... all 800 people <laughs> that were stuffed into a plane flying across the ocean where they all had to sleep with their arms propped. Like, just like, oh, get some sleep. I guess I will. I guess I'll just fall asleep sitting up. Like, I, I guess that happens, but it's also like, that's bad planning where you have all your dudes that are supposed to be ready on alert being like, you know what? Just get some shut eye here and just... just 
everybody fall over each other except that one guy reading the Mad Magazine who seems to be enjoying life. Yeah, I was just going to say that going back to the point about the villains, I, I, I'm i sort of conflicted because I feel like there was a, at least an effort to, to put in to try to make them not look or seem so one-dimensional. But at the same time, I feel like Robert Forrester's villain is just shy of being like, have you ever seen um, Breakfast at Tiffany's? I, you're talking about Jack well, that's a whole character. Other, uh, uh, well, uh, I believe it's Mickey Rooney. The Mickey Rooney. Yeah. Yeah. That was the overly Asian, the yeah. horrible stereotype. I've not seen what you're talking about yet. It yeah. sort of feels like Robert Forrester's just shy of that, and that's not a discredit to Robert Forrester. He's working with what he has. He's a good actor. I'll give credit to the, the, me watching the movie. I didn't realize that was him. Okay. Well, I didn't know he... I mean, I'd seen this movie so many times when I was a kid, and it was on TV like probably like a year ago, and I just heard his voice from like another room, and I was like, is that Robert Forrester? And I walked in, and it was Delta Force. I was like, no. I was like, well, that's weird. I swear. I was like, well, maybe he had like a bit part. Maybe he was one of the other guys in one of the offices or the something. And I'm like, no, he is going full short circuit. This has made me feel really, this is really not making me happy right it's not, now. Like It's not full Fisher Stevens. Short circuit. No, but like the idea that that was, I mean, they... I don't know. Was like, it Robert Downey Jr. Tropic Thunder? Was that like, you know, <laughs> yeah. somewhere in it is, there? It's just odd that, yeah. like, I don't know that. I mean, I guess that's, I don't know. It's a sign of the time, I guess, that, like, you just find that slightly, I don't know, I find it offensive. <laughs> to, no, no, to be fair, I ended up watching what was it, uh, two years ago, I ended up watching for the year of the Western, um, Once Upon a Time. Sorry, it was Duck You Sucker. It was called Once Upon a Time of Revolution. Rod Steiger played a Mexican. And you're like, He's the least Mexican guy I've seen, but they just slap on like some shoe polish or whatever, and he plays a Mexican. You're like, that's not right. But he commits the performance, and there's no irony. So you're like, I don't agree with this, but I can't fault him. Like I feel right. like I feel like this is kind of the same thing where it's like this is the hand that Robert Forster has dealt with being in this film, and I also feel like Menachem Golan was like, no, 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 more. Right. I feel like he because. If, from what Steve and I've was seen, not Menachem's uh, strong suit. No, and, but I feel like it, for him it was always like louder, faster, stronger. Just make it more. Suddenly he's George Lucas. Yeah. <laughs> On the Amazon thing that pops up when I paused it at one point, it did say that Robert Forster said he was one of the greatest directors he ever well, worked with. Because I'm going to bet that he probably said, what if I do this? He's like, yeah, 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 it's fine. He probably never said no to anything because he just wanted them just to do it, you know, and like we've we've seen and we'll get to our when we get to the end here we have something called the, Mon- the Monocom index about his much as much influence in the film I, this is going to be 100% I'm spoiling this because he directed and co-wrote this film this is like if if there was like a pure distillation like a 97% pure blue meth which Steve doesn't understand that cuz it's a breaking bad reference of canon this is it. Yeah. Like, this is pure. But this was like the height of like, their powers, too. This is before yes. the, like, well, we just got to patch this together and use that set over. This was like the height of them being the, the, a legit company. Well, I mean, I'm going to put legit. The thing about the 80s, though, like, all those the direct to video, like, it seemed like we had a larger market of just people making stuff. You know what I mean? Well, like, and well, we don't the, have this, anymore. This book, which I've been reading, which was published in the 80s, is the guy who wrote uh, The Hollywood Go Go, uh, written by Andrew Yule, compares canon to the Indian rope trick where it's like it just see the rope go up and the person walks that go climbs the rope and they don't know how it does it it's like they compare canon to that it's like there's trickery going on he goes extensive research into this and it's amazing how deep he goes in I don't understand a majority of it but he understands it and something like this where it's like this film comes out 
before the curtains pull back and exposes all the bullshit that they've been doing, like all the plate spending just to keep their company going. But Menachem Golan felt like this was the film to get into. We talked about Chuck Norris and his political leanings. With this film, it felt almost like it was cathartic in the sense of like the TWA hijacking didn't go the way people wanted. It was a right. black eye for Americans and everything else. And like Ronald Reagan, that it's like, this is almost like when Steve and I talked last week about, um, we talked about Once Upon a Time in Hollywood about Inglorious Bastards, mm-hmm. where it was like, yeah, but what if America just came in and just punched everybody in the face and we were done? Like, right. like which World War II was like that, except for one thing. And it's like, we didn't get to kill Hitler directly. And Glorious Bastards addressed this. I feel like Delta Force is like, yeah, we got most of the people out, but it should have been more badass along the way, you know? And Chuck Norris was talking about, and I have a quote here, about, uh, he talking about the TW hi- hijacking. He said, the United States is a paper tiger. Uh, we're facing here is the fact that our passive approach to terrorism is going to instigate much more terrorism throughout the world. I would have sent the Delta Force in immediately. That's his. So, you know, you could tell that his worldview is like leeching into this. And you have him being the linchpin of all this where he's like, I'm done with bureaucracy. Oh, wait, there's American lives involved. I'm back. Also, I'm going to high five every single person. I didn't even mention. Uh, what was it? Um, oh, uh, Steve James. What's his name? Uh, that's not right. Um Oh, shoot. Uh, Steve James. Yeah, Bobby, mm-hmm. uh, who was an American Ninja, which I know Steve has not seen, but it's like, I wish he would I've play seen the- American Ninja. Oh. It's just been 30 years since I've seen it. So. Well, okay. Removed. Um, I almost wish he would have played the same character for American Ninja in this. <laughs> but it's like, there's a bit where they both have like dual rocket launchers and they're just trying to distract like the, the locals. And it's like, they, they actually have to do like this whole like fist grab, like this, like, yeah, we did it. <laughs> the drive off. It's like, no, 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 no. They're coming to shoot you. Drive away. So like, let's, let's talk yeah. about that too for Please. a second, because we live in a world of, uh, we're, we're in like a post stunt world, even though it's coming back with your John Wicks and all of your things like that. Um, but because of, you know, CG and stuff, watching people actually crash a car and drive a thing and jump a motorcycle and shoot a thing and climb onto a truck and like there was some of that like the indiana jones like let's just go over here into this part of this deserty area we got this truck like don't kill yourself but like jump on that (laughs) some have somebody climb yeah because he climbs over the top and then chuck norris they switch drivers while chuck norris is fighting the driver and i'm like they're really doing it. Look at them go. Like yeah. there's a guy on a truck jumping off of it right now. And I appreciate that. As over the top as this film is, and we'll talk more about how it goes off the rails in a second, um, it feels more grounded, and I want to use that term until it doesn't apply right. in this film, than like Invasion USA. Well, that was actually the point I was gonna make when he was saying about the stunts. Like there's a stunt that happens in Invasion USA where uh there's a guy sitting at a desk who's like Literally almost killed uh, because of the stunt. Yeah, from the back, like there was an explosion and it just almost killed him. Like, and it's like that sucks. And, and but you're watching, you're like, oh my god, I can't believe <laughs> they did that. You I, know, there's I think a the guy almost died. Like, oh. You know, Invasion USA. They also blow up a a, 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 a street of houses that were going to be demolished yeah. anyways. Like, like it, back in the eighties, they were really doing these things, right. which is impressive you know if and you know Menachem Golem was like you got to put it on the screen you got to show the explosion right. right if you can't so. appreciate you know if there isn't a lot to appreciate in the film you can at least appreciate that they're really doing a lot of these crazy things I love that like there's the bit wherever 
uh, the Delta Force gets into the compound and they're going to like kind of like size up where they need to set like the, the explosions. They don't know if there's people above them or not. It doesn't matter. We're going to assemble some ladders and have people put like this plastique and they're all like rolling it like Play-Doh. It all looks like poop. Like, <laughs> they're like here, here, it's a cigar. No, it's poop. And they're all rolling their hands and they line up the circle. And it's like, that's like that explosion's real because they have to like detonate the, the, the floor above them. I know that whoever, if that's fake or not, but it looks real. And it's like, that there, there's a value in that. There's a value in all that. And also, I, I want to mention now that as much as we're going to like maybe pile on Menachem Golan, I think his vision is what is flawed. I think as a director, he's competent. That's like, what I mean. It seems like yeah. a real, like, there's scenes in this movie that you're like, Tom Cruise just made a $200 million Mission Impossible movie two years where the, some of the scenes were the exact same scenes like the guys taking the car and down the streets yeah. and through the down the stairs and do, it's just good old fashioned like okay so we have this thing now we have to do something to get from here to there like what do you want to do you want to jump on something you want to blow something up like let's just just do that though don't you know well I'm, I'm just mentioning there's a bit whenever uh, Chuck Norris is in like the cemetery and he's looking over at the compound and he has the binoculars and it, it zooms in on him and it cuts back to him and being in the car. There's like a nice match action transition of him still in like it goes from the cemetery to him in the vehicle holding the mic like microphone. That's not right. The the binoculars. And it's like that takes some thought to set up the shot of him having the binoculars cutting to him having him moving mm-hmm. on. It's like so there's actually like moments of like competency in this like so here's the thing though i think that when you're looking at a film like this particularly actually no any any film i don't know that every director whether they're a good storyteller or not storyteller or not there's a reason they have editors there's a reason they have writers you know i'm gonna use and again this may be a bit of a a, uh what's the word i'm looking for here a a golden calf a uh uh, so okay, so I'm gonna use Ridley Scott. Okay, how dare you? Ridley Scott is an amazing <laughs> filmmaker. I mean, except for the later Alien films, but whatever, it's fine. But again, <laughs> those films are competently shot. Functionally, they're gorgeous, they, they gorgeous look, yes, to look gorgeous. at. Yes. So like, you can't really fault his directing style or any of that stuff. It comes down to the story, which, oddly enough, if you're looking at this film, it's not like Menachem doesn't know how to direct. It's that he didn't have somebody come in and be like, ooh, let's tighten up this script or let's maybe edit it a little differently. Or, you know, there are decisions that are made that I don't think are specifically. Yeah, no, you're right. I I don't think that I don't think the the script is the worst. I think some of his tendencies leak through, which are um, the Delta Force doesn't lose. Even even that that showdown on Beirut, whenever they, they screw up stuff, it's because the reason they screw up is because they learn new information that if they attack the plane, they're gonna lose lives. Right. Um, and then, um, and then later, like the weird things of like the motorcycle that shoots missiles. That is such a monocum thing that it, it's like it's fun, but it pisses me off because I feel like like you didn't need. You didn't need this. You didn't need this additional. T- I, this that's is not, the weird part. This is of not Street it. Hawk. We don't need that. Yeah, like that's the part that I always think is weird. I'm like, this could be. Uh, it's like it has. It wants to be like a Black Hawk down. Not. I mean, obviously, it's not that game years later. But you know what I mean, like a real Ridley, military was movie. Was it Ridley Scott there? Or Tony Scott yeah. that did Black Hawk. Down? Ridley Scott did that uh, one. Did Ro- 
I think that's Ridley Scott. I'm not entirely sure. Tony, it wasn't enough yellow in the sky <laughs> for Tony Scott movie. I thought I thought uh, Black Hawk Down was um oh the Hurt Locker um no I'm gonna look it up. I'm gonna oh I can't think of my name. Scott. I'm just gonna say Ridley um, Scott. And, okay. Um, oh, um, you might be Chris right Song. about that. I'm gonna look it up. We're gonna find out right now. It's gonna be real time. But see, so, so uh, the action Ridley scene- Scott was Black Hawk Down. Was he? Okay. I was right. Anyway, okay. Move on. I was completely wrong. That's fine. Let's move You're on. wrong by <laughs> one generation of brother. <laughs> the first time. The first time. Well, no, I didn't even think it was bad. Tony Scott. Oh. I just thought it was, um, oh, God, um, Cameron's ex-wife, and I feel awful. Uh, uh, just Gail, uh, Ga- Gail Ann Hurd? No, uh, she's a producer. Um, uh, never mind. I, Let's just I, thought, I thought that was Gail Ann Hurd. I'm <laughs> only we had something to, to look it up. <laughs> I know, I know. So while you guys are looking that up, I'll talk about please, uh, the fact that please, I Jeff, really, save, save really enjoyed we're terrible at uh, the Chuck Norris stunt double riding the motorcycle and jumping onto a piece of rope to get into the plane <laughs> at the end. Yeah. I was pretty impressed by that no, one. Like he actually stood up on the motorcycle. That's what I'm saying. Yeah, like there's yeah. no cutaway. There's no close-ups. It's just like there's the guy in the wig about to die on this Catherine motorcycle. Catherine Bigelow. Yeah, Bigelow. I was just about yeah. to. Say, I found that. That's who I was thinking. No, was no, you're right. Black like Hawk that Down. was crazy. That was cool. Um, no, there's a lot of stuff here that you could appreciate. It's just that, like, I just didn't need that extra with some of this. That's, that's the to big me thing. The, the one part that is the most bummer is the like. They go, they're getting everybody out of there. Lee Marvin's like, we gotta go. And then they all leave. He's like, I got something to take care of. And he chases down Robert Forster. Yeah. And they, obviously, Robert Forster's not going to have a fist fight with Chuck Norris by the end of this movie. So you know that's not coming, which I'm glad in a way. But it's still like, it would have been cooler if he arrested him. As opposed to shot him with a missile from his from the back motor- of the bike that didn't make sense. Well, there's also know. a theme in canon films of people exploding at the end of it. But um, <laughs> yeah, I'm sure Monaco's like the bad guy has to just evaporate. No, but like I, I, I for a second watching this, whenever uh, Abdul runs into that house and you can see that the family had been and they in were there. watching belly dancing on TV. I'm like, come on, they, there had to be a soap but there, opera there was from a that meal time. There and everything. I was expecting the locals in the house to be like. We're done with you. We're done with this treatment. We're killing you. Right? Which would have been more satisfying. That's what I mean. This yeah. was a definite, like, we need a real, like... Uh, Consequence. Yeah. Or it but has then, to be the Batman, like, then, I'm not, I don't have to save you kind of thing, yeah. but, you know. But then Chuck Norris drives through <laughs> the house with a motorcycle, has this fist fight, which is pretty great. Like, don't get me wrong. Like, it's not needed, but it's pretty great. And then... And then um, Robert Forster ends up in the vehicle with his rifle, like it's like um, it's it's a rifle, right? It's like a whatever. I'm it sure, is. it's an AK forty seven if it's yeah, nineteen eighty. It, it, it wasn't an Uzi, which they had Uzis. I was like, oh look at that Uzis. Remember, we, we Uzis know and we know everything? Uzis are Chuck Norris's weapon of choice because he likes holding them at like like waist high and just shooting them <laughs> and turning his hips, which is what happened all throughout Invasion USA, which is probably effective. It's even the image on the poster, <laughs> yeah, which is effective but not badass looking. Uh, it's just like I'm shooting you with my nipples. It's fine, whatever. Um, but then. But whatever Robert Forster's in the vehicle, like looking, I'm gonna raise, I'm gonna raise my rifle, like at hell's heart, I stab at thee. Chuck Norris is like, yeah, rear ass bike missile, like <laughs> just like. But they literally don't know each other. They have, do they even have any interaction up to that point? No, he so just there's knows, really no he, he reason. Knows he's the person that caused it's almost all like, this. Almost uh, like, like the Sixth Sense style of like, we're watching this, we know what's going on. But it, so it would have been cooler if he uh, just arrested him. Yeah, not blowing him up. Like he could have had all of the stuff. He could have driven the motorcycle through the nice people's house, 
everything and then uh well that's where the gi joe analogy comes in for me because like that was you know i at that time growing up watching gi joe like i remember seeing the previews for delta force and thinking like it's real life gi joe like there's a motorcycle with rockets on it what did you, what, what did you like my facebook status when watching this a couple nights ago <laughs> i called it gi no <laughs> so here here's the admission i had never seen this film mm. until now i, had, I and mean, i think to, i ruined the ending for you a couple episodes back because i, I mentioned know. it i don't i you didn't ruin it um a really sad it's a really depressing ending again. Like no matter how, and then the guy who he saves is his buddy the whole time. Spoiler alert: dies. Nice. Good, good. That's like it's, it's like you very get, heavy like, again. So I feel like Menachem Golan and like his screenwriter, but I feel like he he we've been through like this is like you know what like we're two thirds of the way through our year of canon, and this this is going to be the apex of their output we're gonna we're gonna get in the decline coming up with uh mash the universe i think we're doing going bananas for october we might shift that to hellbound with chuck norris because it's a horror film i don't know i just my my ability to write blog posts that are in time with the rest of this is falling apart so if we want to watch a canon horror film we'll just do it but i've also realized that cobra is not going to fall into that because i feel like that's we'll talk period. about cobra more in a second okay um, if you want, we can we can just jump ship and then do Cobra in October. It's fine. Well, no, I just I mean, it's fine because Cobra technically okay. I'll just say it right now, Cobra is a canon film, but not. Yeah. So so Jeff, I don't know if you're aware of this, but uh, Sylvester Stallone was under contract. They talk about it in the Electric Boogaloo thing about with uh, over the top about how they overpaid him. He had been signed to Canon for like a number of years for over the top, and they just couldn't make it happen. Which is also directed by the Menachem Golan, um, and he. I, the rumor is St- Stallone didn't want to work with him because he realized he like I don't like this director, so they kept like saying, "What about this amount of money?" So there was a bit where Warner Brothers was like, "We want Stallone in this film called Cobra," and it came out the same year as this, at eighty six. Okay, I was and, thinking it was eighty seven. No, it was eighty six. Um, and the only deal Cannon made with Warner Brothers at the time was just have our name associated with it. They didn't ask for money. They released Stallone out of his contract to make this one movie, and they didn't ask for any of the profits for the film. So, all right, I'm gonna I'm gonna just fast forward to something here. This will this will blow your mind. We're gonna talk about this right now. So, for '86, which we just talked about, like uh, I, I mentioned, the box box office barometer. Um, so, for the top grossing films, we had Top Gun at number one. Uh, Delta Force was fifty. Right with uh, seventeen million, where do you think Cobra landed and all that? Two. <laughs> I'm gonna say I don't think Cobra was a success, so I'm gonna say it fell like in the mid 30s. Okay, so but you think it did better than Delta Force? Yeah. All right, so Cobra, which is here on my phone, which is really small for me to look up, was fifteen. It was the fifteenth highest grossing film of. 20, of uh, 2016 of okay. 1986 it made 49 million and sorry it was yeah it was released by warner brothers so canon didn't attach their wagon to this and make some residual money from it um think about that that that's like they had stallone in the palm of their hand they're like no 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 as long as we have the name <laughs> they make, right because they because canon is steve and i've been like journeying through all this they just wanted legitimacy they wanted to be taken seriously right. And they never were. We just watched uh, Runaway Train last last month, which is a really great film. And it was like the cl- I feel like that's the closest, other than like their production of Othello, 
That was like the closest they ever got to like legitimacy. Yeah. And they're like, no, 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 Cobra, it's fine. Just put our name in there. Um, so yeah, yeah, I was unaware of that. I knew that like for Stallone's films, it didn't do as well as some of his others. So that's yeah. why it was considered to be not a flop. But I guess I didn't realize it was 15 for the year. So maybe yeah. I'm putting my own sort of onus on that from what I remember when it came out. But did we just want to go ahead and do some uh, box office barometer here? We'll just throw a yeah, yeah. All right, Jeff, I want to ask you. So we know of the top 100 mm-hmm. for 86. Mm-hmm. Uh, we know. Top Gun was number one, mm-hmm. and Cobra was 15, and Delta Force was 50. I'm going to ask you about other films. You're going to tell me if it did better or worse than Delta Force. Oh. All right. Fly of the Navigator. Better. Yes, it was 48. <laughs> <laughs> I was going to say, I don't remember that being a big hit either. No. Uh, Steve, Iron Eagle, which we've always got teased. <laughs> <laughs> um i feel like iron eagle uh it did well but i don't know that it did better than delta force i mean it did enough to i think four sequels right yeah that like, doesn't matter anymore we know that um I, i'm gonna say it did better than delta force you're right it was 41 howard the duck better or worse than delta force you got it's an all play i'm gonna say I feel like, see, this is where I'm starting to play. I'm doing the matrix of the game, not the actual choice here. I'm starting to play. He gave us two above. Now he's getting this one. <laughs> see, I'm thinking of a different way. I feel like you go above because you're talking post-Raiders, Star Wars, George Lucas. You're not talking. Yeah, I mean, so depressing thing about Howard the Duck. Um, there was a 1-900 number that you could call and get messages from Howard. How was... many times did you call it? I don't know how many times, but I found out about it like a month later when my mom's like, what the hell is this? I was like, I called Duck to Howard the Duck. Did you just get weird like comments about duck condoms? <laughs> like, from it was like a 30-second message yeah. about go to the movies about, and see me and my friends in this movie about some quack coming in. Yeah. about Cleveland. No, it did worse than uh, Delta Force. <laughs> um, all right. Uh, let's see where we're at here. A little bit, what else we got here? Uh... One Crazy Summer. Oh, I love One Crazy Summer. Oh, man, do the I prequel, love it. prequel to Gross Point Blank. I'm going to say it did worse, but, man, I love that movie. You're right, it did do worse. Um, Labyrinth, better or worse than Delta It's going to be worse. That was a bomb, too. Yeah, so I'm going to say probably favorite. worse. You're right. It was worse. That's, that's terrible. Uh, let's see here. What else we got here? Highlander, the original Highlander, better or worse? Better. Uh, better. Um, so we had Delta Force of 50. The original Highlander is at 98 for the year. What? That's also a canon release. Yeah. I mean, I, it was 98 and it had a Highlander 2 and then a 3 and then a TV series. Like... Highlander for the year, for yeah. 86. It uh, The box office not adjusted, uh, 5, 5.9 million. That's crazy. Crazy. I know. Yeah. Okay, Steve. Here, this one's the Hitcher. Better or worse than Delta Force? Oh man. See, that's that's a weird one because like I didn't discover it till HBO. We just talked about Rucker Howard passing away. Yeah. I'm gonna say it did worse. I love right. the it Hitcher. It is the 100th film. It is 100th grossing <laughs> film of the year. It is at 5.8 million. So, yeah. Um, Song of the South re-release. Oh Better God! Worse. Please tell me it was worse. <laughs> What's wrong with that film? What are you talking about? Jeff. I don't even know where to. I'm like, I'm like, I don't want to see anything. His face know. is just frozen. He's like, uh, I saw that one in the theaters. That count? Uh, 
Slightly less. It's fifty-one. Uh, so yeah. All right. So let's just. We'll, we'll the hitcher should be far above Song of the we'll, South. We'll put a pin in this. We'll talk about. So the top ten films of eighty-six were Top Gun, Crocodile Dundee, Platoon, Karate Kid Part Two, uh, Star Trek for the Voyage Home. That's a good yeah. One. Back to School, Aliens, The Golden Child is number eight, and no one remembers that. Film. I mean, I know we we do, we, but like, yeah. no one talks about The Golden Child. Because uh, the blood's in the oatmeal. Uh, Ruthless People and Ferris Bueller's Day Off were the top ten for that year. Yeah. so I had a movie pop into my head that I was going to be like, wasn't this that year? And for whatever reason, during your list, I completely forgot what it was. So uh, Was it Little Shop of Horrors? Because it was 25th. No. Right. What about Gung Ho? That film we all remember <laughs> about car manufacturing. So, yeah, that that's neither here nor there. But... um. Yeah, I just I, I don't know like this. So I'll say this. So talking about point in place, we've mentioned this previously. I feel like we this is the height of canon, right? Yeah, Menachem Golan making a film that's important to him, and it's dealing with like you know like these extremist groups that are anti they're 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 anti Jew, they're anti Israeli, and it's something important to him. But it also feels like it's him jumping on this bandwagon of like, we're going to make this. Because that's the other thing, too, we've noticed with Canon is they always announce things and then they will sell it up front and then if they get enough money, they'll make it. Um, this was announced at like the Cannes Film Festival. <laughs> They're going to do this with um, with Chuck Norris and Chuck Bronson. And, and then Bronson bowed out, so they got Br- Lee Marvin in. Um, I wish somebody would release a book with all those fake posters that they made back then. Like the, what was it the Monster Eight Cleveland or what it was called? There was there was the Gollum I think with uh, Charles Bronson, which I'm like I want to see Charles Bronson and Gollum makeup definitely. Um, Ooh, one ring. Yeah. I, yeah. Oh, no dice. Um, I want to see the the Canon Spider Man poster is what yeah. I want to see. Which they did, a, they did teasers for that. There was also a uh, Bridget Nielsen She Hulk poster. Yeah. Because <laughs> uh, that was going to be a thing as well. That was going to follow, I think. Do you think the they're going to get Bridget movie. Nielsen for the new D twenty three? They're like, can they just bring her in as uh, She Hulk? That'd be amazing. Um, yeah. So it'll um, be Gina Carano. <laughs> I, I'm okay with that. Uh, that's what uh, I'm saying. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Um, yeah. I don't know. Like, I feel like they, Steve and I run roughshod over the plot of the like films we talk about the year of canon. I don't know. It's like it's a bunch of dudes that wait like over and over again and they, they strike. And then when they strike, it's like over the top, like no pun intended. Like it, this film, it's it, it feels like it butts up against like had they not taken the, the had they not leaned into Menachem's like more extremist tendencies. This film actually, I think, would have aged pretty well. It's not horrible. That's no, what makes like, it yeah. bad. It's sort of like your for eyes only kind of James Bond thing where it's so dr- good that it's almost not good like you want to be more bonkers i mean this is jingoistic as all get out right this is pro-america and that we can do no wrong i I mean not that i'm saying that's accepting it's like i feel like had they because there's the whole bit where they do like the whole training run through the air like the the fake air the mock-up where leaving not leaving leave lee marvin other lee is overseeing everything it's like we did it in 20 it's like we can do it in 10 like that's kind of cool like you got that moment of like these guys are elite and that's great and had they explored more of like Chuck Norris's characters, like his his division over serving his country versus like being pushed, that could have been interesting. But I feel like anytime there's like character development, Menachem's like, no, 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 we can get more action in here. 
and it's like I feel like that's his tendency of like spectacle versus development. And but there's like just bits and pieces just put in here. Like there is when all the crew member the crew members the the people on the airplane when they're being called for because they're Jewish sounding names. You have uh, you know uh, Martin Bassam going forward being like a, a person who survived the, the concentration camps and he's like we did it then we'll do it now like that's a really touching moment that whole scene is yeah. pretty heavy duty yeah. man yeah. and like, then George Kennedy going up he's like I have a Jewish name it's O'Malley or whatever he says yeah. it's like that's great well there's yeah. also the yeah, Russian who's like I'm, I'm not even Jewish like, what? like whatever just bring it in you yeah. know like those are all really good moments like in this film. And then later, whenever the one member of Delta Force dies of the 800 of them, and it's the guy from the beginning of the film, whenever you have George Kennedy reading the last rites and he's in tears, it's like that scene's way better than it has any right being. That's what I'm saying. Like yeah. it's one of those movies where it wants to be like a Tom Clancy movie, but also Raiders of the Lost Ark at the same time. Like yeah. they want to jump off the truck and make a, a, a like a joke, or like you said, do the high five. But like they could have gone more serious, and it probably would be. It's weird. It's like it's almost. It's like you said. Like you just said. It's it's almost too good for what it is. What they do with parts well, it, of it. It just keeps it keeps butting up against like interesting, and then it just falls on its keys. Yeah. And I feel like like even with the um, was the Greek Orthodox uh, the priest right. Like, he was an interesting character. They didn't develop him, but they raised the stakes of him being the observer. Right. You know, and, like, him having, like, the ham radio where he would be like, I'm going to read some Catholic stuff and then tell everybody what's going on because that's what that's what priests do in the confessional. It's like, that's interesting. And then they bring him in just long enough to be an exposition dump, and then they kill him off. It's yeah. like, I mean, not that I'm saying that his character wouldn't be put in the crosshairs of all this, but it's like... It's, Man. it's not a bad movie. It's not bad. Like, oh, this is bad. Like, people are trying really hard, and there's some like you're talking. How many Academy Award winners in this thing? At least yeah. three. And enough. You know like, what I mean? Like, it's like, like yeah, there like is, these guys are not. There's some. This is not a chump here. show, you know. Yeah. Like, and then also we didn't even talk about the weird um, shirtless people in the plane. <laughs> like, did, did anybody else feel uncomfortable? Where it's like, oh, my daughter. She's just hanging out with her shirt off. It's fine. We're all hot. Like that was weird. <laughs> it was. It's like it didn't feel dirty or wrong, but it was like, why is this I happening thought, in this film? Was that film? when they were like parked? Like I kept thinking, like, why are you guys so sweaty? You're flying around. Does the AC not work when the terrorists are on? Do they do yeah. that so they want to get off the plane? I'm like, maybe I missed something while I was painting. No, or I something. just feel like they didn't have the air conditioning, and also because the they were shooting mostly <laughs> was just just horrible. So every like I feel like one of the resequits in this film is like. Are you a terrorist? You must sweat profusely. I feel like that was one of the things happening. Uh, ladies and gentlemen, we're being hijacked. Uh, and as such, we're going to be uh, turning off the air conditioning. Yeah. So uh, sit okay. back uh, and pray for your life yeah, and uh, sweat to death. The in-flight movie will be Delta Force. <laughs> like, well, you know what's interesting is is that you know uh, Chuck Norris is probably... Lee Marvin's age at this point, I say you yeah, reboot. No, no, he's older than Lee Marvin. Lee Is Marvin he? only died in his mid-60s, I think. All right, I think so Chuck Norris, Chuck Norris you reboot with Chuck Norris in the Lee Marvin role, or you reboot it, he's still his character from the first two Delta Forces, uh, now leading Delta Force, and then you get some young guns in there, like your Keanu Reeves, who's like 55. But <laughs> you get like your some young guys in there, you know, and you remake uh, or you reboot Delta Force. I need Clint Eastwood in there now, like <laughs> because that's he's a, the young gun of the. Uh, yeah, he, yeah, I like that they're like it's your new heroes. I'm like Lee Marvin's not a new hero, and Chuck yeah. Norris is like 
middle age at least. You know, it just feels like thanks, thanks for the Delta Force, like more like Omega Squad. Like we're done, we're at the end here. You know, I I did like this movie. I'll just say this: I liked it. I liked it more than Invasion USA. I feel like Invasion USA in the last like half hour just became like noise. And this also does too. I will say that. You could at least follow the action in this, like yeah. that, that. Which I mean, that sounds like I'm damning with faint praise, but you could. And I give credit to uh, Golan for actually, like, as as ridiculous as it got, you understood what was going on. So there's that, you know, like that. I feel like that's like the smallest of things, but some of the canon films we've seen, they just shit the bed in the second half, and this has been. Also, I just want to yeah. point this out. We mentioned it a long time ago, but the score of this movie. I'm just going to keep talking about the score of this movie no, because please do. if this movie was made now, even in, in its exact state, minus the brown face horribleness, they wouldn't have this up. The score is like, it's like Rocky. We're like halfway through Rocky. The whole time this song has been this depressing, like three note chord piano thing. And then all of a sudden they start playing it fast and you're like, this was secretly going to get me jacked up to run up these stairs. Oh, every time, <laughs> and every like, time something happens, you hear that same score, which like I, I found out that this was actually being used for a lot of like IndyCar races right. on ABC. I wrote NASCAR in my notes. That's not right. But like the ABC used the score for a lot of like IndyCar, like the Indianapolis 500 Brickyard, Brickyard 500 for a number of years. It was the same music from, Delta Force. But you could see it being like if you had the score being all like dun dun like some some sort of like Hans Zimmer like heavy like oh this is this is serious we are being serious they're like this is serious but look how awesome it is and that's something that I feel like nobody does anymore nobody's yeah. like this is awesome just admit it you know what I mean even a lot of superhero movies like the music there's no more like. Da, 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 da. Like we were like, yeah, like yeah, you know, unless it's like a, a needle drop, which we were talking about earlier, you know. Yeah, no, I, I I completely agree with that. So the score, though, I don't always feel like it's the best timed. It it's one of those things where it's like, man, everybody's dying. like people are just just getting blown up. Yeah, it's Delta Force, <laughs> you know, like so again, I feel like this is wish fulfillment of how like Chuck Norris feels that the U.S. would have responded to the hijacking. I feel like this is what America felt like they should have responded to the hijacking. So this, like, after talking about like *Inglorious Bastards*, I feel like this is that revisionist history. Considering the first half of the film followed everything closely to what had happened, and it's like, yeah, but what if we were better at our jobs? Or, or what if we didn't take no for an answer? Because there's a bit there in the like towards when they were first and landing in Beirut, where the ambassador to the U.S. is supposed to go, like, negotiate. And he's like, and then uh, Lee Marvin's like, let me know how this goes. And you never hear from the ambassador ever again. It's like, well, I guess that didn't work. Like, that's it. Um, yeah, I just feel like this is one of those things that this film came along right place, right time in the sense of, like, like people were feeling shitty about everything. And they needed, like, this, like, wish fulfillment of, like, just filling it up. And... I feel like in a weird way, like we've talked about like um, Breakin and uh, was Breakin was the film that made money. Breakin 2 didn't do so well. Where Canon always throws things against the wall where it's like, this is the thing that's going on right now. What if this happened? What if this happened? Like this film was profitable, not by much, but it was. And I feel like this is one of those things where Canon like leached on where it's like, people want to feel better about their position in life. Let's just give them a win. And people responded to it. Regardless if that's right or wrong, they did. I'm trying to remember if uh, this was the film from uh, 
electric boogaloo that the premiere was held in like a parking garage? Um, maybe because they moved into recently into their big big like office building and they had Chuck Norris show up in a parking garage and all this and there's a whole thing in that book that I was reading about how like even that like didn't go well and like um the documentary kind of glosses over it where it's like no one could park anywhere near the parking garage <laughs> like it was one of those things uh but like Chuck Norris felt like he was in this position making a message movie and it's like you could tell watching this where it's like oh I'm done with all the bureaucratic bullshit but people are in trouble. I'm coming back. And they held the cargo plane up for him because it's like, he's coming. You know, it's like this whole thing of like, they paint him as like this purest of pure. And I, and I know that's how he wanted to be viewed. And like they had Lee Marvin's character of like, yeah, he wouldn't be like, even though he retired, he wouldn't say no to this mission. Like that, that is so unrealistic, but it, it feels so in vain what was going on. I just, I just really, really, really feel like had we not had the showdown with him and the bad guy, unless it was earned previously in the movie, which was not, and all the, the missile rockets coming off of bikes and all that stuff, this could have been, as, as ridiculous as it would have been, at least would have felt like it was grounded in reality. But this film, just the first half, it tries to establish all this. Like, there's the bit where... Uh, the one wife, she takes off her, her wedding ring that has like the Hebrew on it. And that ends up like being the instigation for like the hijackers being like, we need all Jewish names. And then when she see- and he sees the tan mark on her finger, the hijackers like, this is yours. She's like, yeah, he licks the ring and puts it, gives it back to her. It's disgusting, but it's like, that doesn't feel like something that either party would have like acknowledged and moving on. Maybe her, he wouldn't have put two and two together. I don't think he would have. But it's like, it's very villainous, but it's like, okay, fine, moves the story forward. But then we get later where it gets more extreme. Even the notion of them taking the divers, the Navy divers, and the other hostages and bringing them to a separate location feels very smart. And that's not something I'd, I thought I'd ever say for a canon film. No, but that's what I'm saying. Like, right. it's actually. I, I keep it punching seems... you in the arm, and, and Jeff, you you're getting all no martial arts. You're gonna be like, you're gonna be like, yeah, I, like, I, the, I know karate. Soundtrack flowing into his you're, his. You're gonna be like, headphones. I didn't tell you this, but I know Shotokan karate, which I don't know. I know you don't know. Maybe you know that. Maybe you know some of that. You're gonna be like, I'm defending myself, and you're just gonna punch me in the throat, and I'm gonna just like piss myself, and I'll be fine. Um, not really, but no, it's um. No, you're gonna punch me in the throat. It's a hard right turn. I think we were both like, what? <laughs> this be like, I can't breathe. Movie. And and be Jeff like, punched I'll, me. I'll be like, I can't breathe. And I pissed myself. That's what's going to happen there. Um, no, um, it just there. there's just moments in this film where it's like, yeah, I see what you're going for. And then it's like, why did you do that? And it's like, this has been the most challenging. It's also like two hours and 10 minutes long. Yeah. It's like, the, like I went, I like, I put this off from the weekend because I knew we were going to cover it this week. And I'm like, I'll watch it on Monday night. And I got home, got settled. I'm like, over two hours? Why is this happening? <laughs> I thought this was going to be like 89 minutes in a clip, and I'm like, nope. Like, well, it's strangely, like the thing that is missing in movies sometimes now is story. Like, you were saying like how he licks the ring, but he was just licking the ring because it was stuck to his hand because he's all sweaty and gross. I didn't take it as I like... I think he was trying I, to be disgusting to handing it back to her. That's yeah, maybe, that. but, like, I, but it seemed like a human thing to give it back. Like, that's the weird thing about this movie is like, there's dimension to these guys. Like, you're actually wondering why they're... Like, they seem like they're having thoughts and thinking ahead. And it's not just like, this is what we're doing. We're going to wait and see what happens. Like, 
And that's what's weird about this movie is like they tried to have a story, and the fact that it does like again we touch on the it gets so close to reality mm-hmm. that that's the part where it gets weird because well, it feels yeah. it feels like you know in your heart of an adult being like. I feel like this might be a little insulting to somebody here. Like, you know what I mean? At some point, not the movie itself, but like the like the retconning of actual history. Like, just do something similar or something. Well, it even paints them in like an honorable-ish light where they like let go of the women and children, like right. negotiate and let people off the planes, and like they understand like the like the terms of negotiation. Because also, this isn't like something spelled out in the film, but like the mid seventies up to this point, if someone hijacked a plane. Governments would work with the people involved because they didn't have a plan in place to not do that. Right. Like, if you look in the 70s, there was so much shit that was hijacked. And it was like, eventually, everybody figured out, it's like, this can't keep happening. And it was like, well, those things where it's like, what do you want? We'll give it to you. And and it, like it's a, it's a weird thing to look back on because we don't live in that world anymore. But they were willing to work with everything. So... I mean, it was a, a different time. I mean, the seventies there was a lot of hijackings. In the sixties, there were a lot of gremlins on the wing. That's true. So a lot of wing walkers. Yeah. So all right. I also played by Robert Forster. <laughs> yeah, he was he was the wing walker. So that joke landed with a thud. I I, I really thought I was being clever with that I too, thought, and I, I was like, it. <laughs> yeah, no, no, no. So um, I don't know. What uh, is there anything else that like I feel like? Um, yeah, uh, Robert yeah. Forster and Jackie Brown is to me the coolest person that's ever been in a movie period end of sentence so Steve, there's never going to be somebody cooler than robert forster and jackie brown i'm just going to put that onto some sort of digital no, record no 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 that's good i'm going to ask steve have you seen jackie brown it's been a while um i remember really liking it when i first saw it um but i haven't revisited it in quite some time here's an admission that's the only tarantino film i've not seen and i need to, i need to watch it i know i don't know why i just I just never got to it. i prefer it's reservoir dogs that's it's weird that that's the one that he says if you like it the most then you don't like Tarantino. What well, whatever. Says. I mean, I don't know. Like, I, I I watched it once. Here. I just watched, did my yearly watching about two weeks ago, and Robert Forster no, is just. I need to watch Jackie Brown. I've I've watched everything else. Like, I watched Once Upon a Time in Hollywood. So I get like sprawling Tarantino. Like, I need to watch something that's him not taking his own work because it's the one thing he's actually done that's not him. Mm-hmm. Like, well, right. we had an entire discussion last week about the fact that I have not watched the last three Tarantino films just because I feel like it's being something that's being put on me that I, I if well, I don't watch them, I'm I'm not part of the culture no, or no, you're yeah. not and you need to watch them. I'm yeah, sure. I and I'm sure I'll get to them at some point. But you Jago know. and Chain's a lot of fun. Hateful Eight's awesome. <laughs> Jago and Chain's a lot that movie also has a front to back issue where like the first half you're like, this is the greatest movie. These two guys are amazing. And then the second half is so hard heavy that you're like, <laughs> I I DiCaprio. don't even know what DiCaprio to do DiCaprio in that film is like a hard turn. Speak, <laughs> that, and then uh, that's another movie where maybe we were talking about a totally different movie now. Yeah, I'm, I'm sorry. Are you talking about, about Django and Chain or are you talking about... Uh, I just love Christoph Waltz so much yes, that I can't so even... Good. He's so good. I can't even yeah. stand it. Yeah, anyway. So Steve needs to watch all those. And I need to watch Jackie Brown. But yes, yeah, so uh, any other thoughts about Delta Force? 
there's a Delta Force 2 that I am very much thinking about watching next week to see. Well, Lee what, Marvin's not in it, I can tell you, because he I didn't quite make it. I think he is. I think he was no, on the poster. No, no he's, he's not. He he, he, this was they his last. Like B-roll or something? Maybe, but this was his last film appearance. He died I wonder if they used B-roll because he's So I own Delta oh, no, Force 2. No, no, it's not. I'm thinking of a yeah, different he, his, because, his uh, not him. I, I don't think it's the case. I was in a drug mart about six months ago, and they had like a bunch of their previously viewed, and that one was like a dollar i was like i've never seen mart home of delta force 2 (laughs) i was like i've never seen this so i picked it up it's not bad uh it is interesting because it starts off like him at dinner with like his best friend who's also in delta force and i'm not even gonna go into it are we gonna watch like navy seals to book bookend this thing (laughs) (laughs) i'll say this delta force 2 is an interesting movie it's worth a watch it's a lot of fun um in the sense that like this was there's definitely no uh, there's no heavy like better political... or worse than Iron Eagle two. Yeah, Ooh. I just want to put on record that I've mentioned Iron Eagle two. I think every time I've been on the show, and I was worried I wasn't going to get in. And you guys kept talking about Iron Eagle earlier, and I was like, I can do it, I can do it. And then does Lewis Gossett Jr. die in the second? No, 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 does no. Jason Gedrick no. die Jason in the second? Jason Gedrick gets blown away. In he all dies. Iron Eagle films, That's right. Yeah. Jason Gedrick dies in the second one, right? To probably uh, Queen song. I don't know. Um, yeah. Too Much Love Will Kill You is the name of the song <laughs> that you listen to. So, all right. I, I will say I had I actually enjoyed this film a great deal. I just really wish it would have pulled back on some of its elements because I feel like then it would have been better. Like, I feel like there's it, it, it gives in to Menachem Golan's, like, tendencies, right? So we're going to talk about that in a second. So, it, like, and, and, and Jeff, you may not have seen this. So there's three questions we always ask at the end mm-hmm. of our canon films. It's our parting canon shots, pun intended. Is this film better or worse than The Apple? I don't know if you've seen The Apple. I have not seen it. Yeah, I should lend you my copy because I bought a Blu-ray of this <laughs> so that way Steve and I could watch at the beginning of the year. It is a weird musical that Golan directed before canon actually became his. It I feel weird. like it's a movie you need to experience. It's okay. bizarre. Yeah, it's bizarre. And the ending is sudden and unexplainable. <laughs> uh, I think this film is better than The Apple because it's more complete and... You know, it's. I don't say it's a lot of fun, but it's just. It's a better watch. That was the thing that I thought. I was like, "This is a real movie," but yeah. it doesn't seem like a lot of fun, even though the score is telling me this is awesome. Yeah, yeah, right. <laughs> uh, so I will say that yes, it's better than the Apple. I will throw in the caveat though that I feel like both Invasion USA and Mission, not Mission, uh, Missing in Action, uh, those two films are better than this film but that's an it's a small margin and it's sort of like saying that you like rocky four more than you do rocky three kind of uh, you know what i mean like they're very similar films um so it's it's hard to really you know push one over the other but i do i do enjoy invasion usa and missing in action just a little bit more than this one so do you think this film did better or worse than maximum overdrive same year better have you seen Maximum Overdrive? Yeah, I'll go again? better. Yeah, you're right. <laughs> Maximum Overdrive, which is a cr- badass, crazy film. My uh, favorite part about that trailer is Stephen King saying, "If you're gonna do something, you, if you want it something done right, you got to do it yourself." Yeah, high on cocaine. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> all right. Second question. It's the Monacum Index. So this is a made-up number that we have. How much did uh, Monacum Golan influence the movie? He, I, I'm just gonna throw this out here. He he wrote it. He co-wrote it and directed it. It's one hundred percent. Like this film is bleeding him. 
Like there, there's actually interesting. So um, there's interesting directorial choices in terms of like the match action and all that I talked about earlier. It is um, dismissive of women, which seems to be a thing that runs with them. Yeah. There's there's uh, really um, unneeded technology gets thrown in here, and it is so over the top. It just it, this is pure crystallized monocum. Yeah, I I would actually go a hundred and five percent. It it's definitely got Menachem all over it, and from you know I I we talked about his competency as a director, and I can say honestly, you know, the Apple to Enter the Ninja to this, like there is a progression. Yeah. Like he does get better, um, better is relative when it's Menachem Golem, but like it's still better. Um, I I can't think of anything in this movie that I wouldn't say doesn't feel like a canon film. Maybe you could make the argument that like, oh, basing this on a real life event um, and having some of that influence the story doesn't feel as canon as other no, films. But considering that they're always chasing trends, like whether it being breakdancing or ninjas or whatever, they're always trying to jam something in there to get people in the seats. I feel like this is like the most upfront about it where it's like it's historical we're going to get people feeling the feels because it actually happened versus breakdancing is a thing. So I feel like he was in front of this and it was important to him because there, there also was that weird racism tint that ran through for Israelis. I feel like that's important to him too. So, yeah. So Jeff, I know it's a made up number. How do you feel like Menachem Golan influenced this film? Mm, I'll go a hundred percent. because uh, <laughs> Not 105. I- <laughs> like, yeah. This is his. This is I'm his gonna do baby. what was at the Price is Right rule. 106. Paul. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> You're right. No. Um. All right. So, okay. So then the last question we always ask here at the end of everything is, would you recommend this film to anyone? Yeah. I mean, you got to be right place, right time, but understand that this film isn't like a laugh a minute. But it's interesting to see, like how close to the sun that uh, Cannon flew. And they weren't quite there, and they missed a little bit. I'm trying to think of how many times I laughed. I think I was like, we live in a uh, post, uh, we're living in the post uh, Marvel joke a minute universe where you say something and then you deny the thing you just said. You go, well, I'm really good at this, but, you know, I'm not really that good at it. And that's the what There's joke no is irony now. in this film whatsoever. That's the weird yeah. thing. And I was like, I think the one joke, I was like, oh, look, a joke. And it's sticking out in my mind <laughs> as you're going through the airport. And he points out his belt buckle. He goes, who bought you that damn belt buckle? And he's like, you did. And he goes, oh, I hope you liked it. Yeah. And I was like, look, a joke. A, joke. <laughs> a, real, a real joke. It wasn't like saying something and then taking it back. I don't even remember what the question was now. I was just excited I remembered the one joke. No, would you recommend this film to anybody? Oh, yeah, totally. Okay. It's two hours of that's the one. <laughs> if it was an hour and a half, I'd be like, knock it out. Yeah. It's not Bloodsport awesome, but you know. Yeah. Yeah, I I always feel like again there is a line that I draw where you say would you recommend this to anyone, and I immediately think of would this be something my wife would watch, and the answer is probably no. Although she did say that she thinks she's seen it before, um, I can usually gauge when I'm like, hey, I'm going to be watching this for the show this week. Her interest. And I would say yeah, maybe 80% of the canon films we've watched so far, her interest has been none. Yeah. Um, so I feel like I need to... Yeah, I would recommend this to certain people, particularly people who grew up of our age group, which she is, but at the same time... It's different. It's, a, it's different, and I don't know that she has the affinity for it that I do. So I would recommend this film, but I feel like that comes with the caveat of knowing what that person's into. Yeah. 
It's funny because like uh, I was watching this on Monday, and then my wife sat down on the couch for like the last twenty minutes, and she was like, she made like a comment or something. I'm like, can I just finish this? Like she was like, in the second, I'm, like, just like, I just, <laughs> it's this movie's been five hours long. Can I just finish it? Let's mystery science theater the last twenty yeah, minutes. And then, and then well, because the whole thing is like they save all the they save the day for everybody, and like everybody's all together, and then Delta Forces gets on the plane, they leave. It's like, oh, you're but solemn. that's the thing. That's I know. supposed to. That's what I'm saying. It comes like, back. It, to it could heaviness. be. It could have been cool where it's like no thanks needed like this is our job it just didn't feel like that like like i feel like i feel like the expendables was trying for some of this it just didn't like get close where the weird part about the ending now that you're saying that is like i know we got to be done but like no there's a part where he's like we're still 45 kind of like everybody's celebrating (laughs) and they're solemnly walking to the plane and your feeling is like yeah they know that's their job and that's what they do and they don't get to get the hurrahs and they're that's sort of like they should have left it there, but then everybody comes and starts cheering for yeah. them. So it's like a and weird. And then you hear like, the music should... again. That's yeah. Like, and it yeah. was like so like they should have left it the first way or the second way, but they they keep doing both things. Yep. Like this is really heavy, but no, that's that's Menachem going <laughs> like, yeah. in a nutshell, right? So yeah, I, I just I was watching with my wife. She was just being comments. I'm just like. Yeah, and then she's like, oh, are you watching this for the show? I'm like, yeah. Like, why would I go out of my way to watch the Delta Force? Um, and I had the hardest time in the world watching this because I couldn't. So it was actually cheaper to watch on Vudu than it was, like, Amazon. Okay. Um, and it was one of those things where, like, spoilers, I'm, I, I was logged into, like, other people's, like, Voodoo's. Not oh, your, wow. not your account, but somebody oh. else's on a different system. You're cheating I, on my voodoo. Yeah, I know. And I had to log out and like do this whole password thing. It was just, I ended up adding a half hour, <laughs> literally got, a half hour before I could still watching stars thing on my Amazon Prime. That's that's probably better. But I ended up adding like a half hour to like getting it watched. I'm like. Now I've put this back like two and a half hours. I was so angry. So I started watching the movie. I'm like, can this just be done? But yeah, so my wife coming in and making like kind of comments about I'm like, just just please, just kind of just watch this. But yeah, when she was watching it, with, like within minutes of her looking at her phone, making fun of it, I'm like, yeah, maybe not for everybody, but whatever. Anyway, I enjoyed this film a great deal. Just point in place. This was like 86 when Canon was still at their peak. I feel like this is the highest canon would go in terms of the films they wanted to make without interference. And we're going to get into other things later where they were kind of selling their soul to get some rights with comes next, next month we're talking about master universe. I feel like this was like the most pure of everything we've come to so far. So it's interesting that we're about three months out when we hit their peak and I've enjoyed this run and just kind of seeing where the chips are going to fall after. So I like talking about this. Thank you, Jeff, for picking this, and it was a lot of fun. Thanks for having me. Yeah. Yeah, I just wanted to say one last thing about it. If you are interested in watching this film and you're not... if you're inspired at all by all the films that we've talked about, one of the things that kind of spurred this was the Electric Boogaloo documentary. Um, but uh, I got a box set that was uh, called The Bombs, Babes, and Blockbusters Canon Films. It's a DVD box set. If you're a Blu-ray purist and want to have all these films on Blu-ray, I don't think there is a Blu-ray option. But it comes with, you know... Invasion USA and Missing in Action and uh, Delta Force, Masters of the Universe, Over the Top, um, Bloodsport. It comes with all these movies plus that documentary. Right now on Amazon, it's I think thirty bucks. I'm I'm scrolling through. Yeah, it's thirty two bucks right now on on uh, Amazon. But I'm sure if you went on eBay, you could probably find it uh, cheaper. Um, 
and let's be honest, it's probably gonna the price is probably gonna go down at some point because yeah. it's a DVD physical media, and B, you know, it's a bunch of canon films. But that's a great way to get most of the movies that we're talking about in this year of canon. Yeah. All right, that's going to wrap it up for the year of canon discussion. Uh, I'm going to go through our, our plugging of things. You can find us on Facebook at Invasion of the Podcast. Uh, let us know your thoughts on Invasion USA. You can find us on invasionofthepodcast.com. Uh, where the blog is there, and I still I'm I'm behind. I've been terrible. This this point of the year has been terrible. But the last thing I talked about was um, Enter the Ninja, which I have some wonderful gifts up there. I'm going to show. Was it Jeff. American Ninja? Um, inter, sorry, American Ninja. Okay, right. I'm like I'm going to show a laser hand cannon that Steve can see. I made a gif of. That's amazing because it's what ninjas use. You guys can check out all those gifts and horrible things that I put up there. Um, you're right. It's American Ninja with uh, Michael Dudikoff and not Franco Nero. However, I have to bring Franco Nero in at the end with his wonderful face and his wink. <laughs> uh, you can check us out there. You can check us on um, Apple Podcasts, uh, Podbean, Stitcher, Google Music, wherever you get your podcasts. Find us, rate, and review us. And I'm going to give Jeff the, this point now. Jeff, where can people find you? Uh, Fred Paints on Facebook. Fred Paints 23 on Instagram. If you're going to Cincinnati Comic Expo next month, I'll be there if you want to come say hey. <laughs> other things as well <laughs> Jeff is an amazing artist go go check out his stuff and buy all of it because it's great um, he's going to be humble about it but it's amazing uh, and Steve's also really great too that feels like I'm going to just like throw shit on Steve Steve how can people find you people like him too um, <laughs> <laughs> uh, you can find me at the com on Instagram and Facebook under the Saturday Slasher so come out uh, come out uh, jump on the social medias <laughs> and say hello enter the internet it's fine enter the uh, internets yeah just rushing the internet like with leave Marvin on the back of <laughs> a jeep with the siren blaring it's fine alright that's going to do it for this week next week are we doing some Spawn? Is that Spawn 300 is what we're talking so, about? So, yeah. Um, the game plan is is I'd like to do, uh, you know, a not an entire retrospective on, on Todd McFarlane. Issues no, I'd Spawn. like to talk about Todd McFarlane's, uh, Todd, Mc, Todd McFarlane's career, okay. um, going back to his days at Marvel, to the founding of Image, and look at Spawn 300, which is being released, which I think is, a you know, one of those big iconic numbers. And we've both talked about this off air. Neither of us have read an issue of Spawn since, like, the... 20s so yeah. like the 20 issues not the yeah 20s that'd be weird uh, but uh yeah well, hopefully next week we'll be talking some spawn slash todd mcfarlane yeah perfect so we'll do that next week hope you guys have a good week and in the meantime uh watch uh delta force and i guess uh don't lick rings i don't i don't got nothing i got nothing for this like don't what's a good outro for for this i mean unless it's Gollum, he can lick a ring that's true all right America.